0: This is the Lasso Lowdown, It'll Give you the lowdown on all things Ted Lasso. We are marching our way through season two of the Apple Plus TV series Ted Lasso. This week we are on episode three, aptly titled The Rightest Thing. Spencer, before we jump into our segments, what were your initial thoughts of the episode?
1: I thought it was a solid episode that I enjoyed. I think it had a couple unnecessarily fumbled moments of execution that could have made certain things either better built up or more powerful, but... I think it's really charting, I I say this, I feel like I say this with every episode, but this one really feels like it's charting what's going to be a big plot line for the next few episodes as people come to terms with and chart away going forward from a very momentous decision that one of our characters makes.
0: Yeah, completely agree. Uh, We were texting a little bit about this. I think we were both big fans of the narrative from a like human fan, like just what does Lee think about the world perspective, but like also like as a person who's operated in the world and understands at least on some small level how it works, very worried about what was going to happen to Sam, the team, Rebecca, et cetera.
1: I love you and I were putting on different hats to explain our different points of view of we're like, Fan Spencer, wonderful! So happy for these characters. What an, what an amazing decision! What a powerful message. Lawyer Spencer, oh dear God! <laughs> Same thing with you. Yeah. It's a guy who does so much work with contracts.
0: Yeah, corporately is like I think I gave you uh, a text that said prayer sign, um, dollar sign, dollar sign, dollar sign, <laughs> like pray for the money.
1: <laughs> yeah, that, that's that, that's one of the things that's really going to crystallize my view of this episode is the degree to which they're confident of going into the necessary repercussions of this. Because they can play out the story, and I would love if they do it, of basically the Colin Kaepernick story of where the team actually had his back. Because that would be a wonderful story to see played out. But it would be entirely unrealistic if they don't go into what will be the necessary consequences, expense, and effort that would have to be put into place to make that actually possible.
0: Yeah, I completely agree. Okay. Well, um, I can say that I really love this episode and I am starting to develop a sort of perspective of this season that it might be better than the first season. <gasps> ah! What? Shut what are saying? your you mouth. Stop it with the heresy. I don't know, man. I think it might be. Like, I like that the episodes are longer. I like what they're doing with the plot. I feel like that as great as the jokes were, they're tighter. They're longer. They're more complex this season. I'm really, really digging this season. But... Uh, Yeah, that's our initial thoughts. Before we uh, jump into Spencer's recap, let's talk a little bit about the segments we do here on the Lasso Lowdown. We start with Biscuits with the Boss, where Spencer brings a dessert to the podcast. We do Tea Time with Lee, where I convince our American audience that tea is not quite as bad as Ted Lasso seems to think that it is. We jump to the recap with Spencer. That's right, Spencer. My guy, Spencer leads the recap. We train wreck of the episode, the Sports Center Top Ten, where every week we point out to you ten. That's ten on the nose. 10 exactly, not 9, not 11, things that we like about the episode. And we wrap up with life lessons with Ted. Some great life lessons in this episode, Spencer. Whoa. Uh, Just just a few. Just a few. Whoa. What a segment that one's going to end up being. Uh, Okay. And a little housekeeping here. Uh, at the Lasso Lowdown. If you're enjoying this podcast, please go to uh, whatever podcast platform you're listening to this on and please rate and review us. Uh, we're having a lot of people listen to the podcast, Mister. That's really good news. Not many people are rating and reviewing us, so we don't really know what you guys are thinking of the podcast. So we really would like to hear some feedback from you all on how you think we're doing because if there's anything we can improve, we would love to improve upon it because part of the reason we're doing this is we want you guys to enjoy it. We want to to have people um, listen and participate in watching Ted Lasso and enjoy listening to the podcast with us. So please do that if you have a chance. And if you like listening to me and Spencer Gab, you can go to whatever podcast platform you're listening to this on. Type in Mangum Talks. That's M-A-N-G-U-M, Mangum Talks. And the plethora, the bounty of our podcast will just magically appear for you. And you can select any one that tickles your fancy and you can listen to us chat. Mm-hmm. So there you go. That's the housekeeping. Spencer, I think it's time we get into segments. Let's go with Biscuits with the Boss. What dessert have you brought for us this week?
1: Well, I love to give our listeners ideas for what desserts they should enjoy with a given episode. Because, you know, this is a comfort show. We want people to have their comfort drinks. They want them to have the comfort desserts so they can enjoy the overall experience. We do the same here. For me, I couldn't get it out of my head after the first time I watched this episode with how many mentions of cheese that they were, that I haven't had cheesecake in so damn long of a time. Ooh, I love cheesecake. So, have, 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 ordering Italian food last night, we also ordered a couple slices of cheesecake along with it. And... As you can see here, it is delightful. Perfect consistency on the cheese. Crust for me is everything. Crust on a cheesecake matters so much. It's kind of like any kind of pie cake that involves a crust kind of thing. And though it is, as we're recording, way too early in the morning to enjoy too much of this, I'm having some delightful bites and having quite a bit of fun.
0: Are you a big graham cracker crust guy on your, yes, on your cheesecake?
1: Yes. Yes. I don't need much. I mean, if you want to dribble sauce on it, if you want to mix other things, fine. But if you just give me classic cheese filling and a great graham cracker crust, I will be very content.
0: I'll tell you how country I am and backwoods and basic. If I in my in a vacuum, I'm not in mm-hmm. polite company. I'm not trying to impress anyone. It's just me Definitely not here. Yeah. eating a slice of cheesecake. What crust do I want? Mm. Oreo Oreo crumble. Oh,
1: that that is a good call. That is a good call. Oreo, Oreo crumble, <laughs> Oreo crumble is classic. It is iconic. It is delicious. Always great.
0: And before we move on from the segment, when you say you ordered Italian food, just a, just a quick clarifying question here. If you order pizza, you would never say I ordered Italian food, right? You'd say I ordered pizza. Italian food is like big pasta-heavy dinner, right?
1: No, no. I will then clarify my prior remark based on the new parameters that have been set. We ordered two pizzas, some garlic rolls, and some cheesecake. Oh
0: wow! Okay, because I always would place pizza in a different sort of mental category. Like if I say Italian, you can you can bet like it's like a like I'm getting like gnocchi, scatty, like something like that. Like I'm not I'm not getting pizza. That's interesting that you would say I've got Italian food when you ordered a couple
1: of pizzas. We we almost always do the same thing. We order one pizza that has just so many animals butchered on top of it. We order another pizza that has only veggies on top of it. We had a collection of garlic rolls, and then we eat those for like three days, and we're very happy. There you go.
0: All right. Well, let's move into tea time with Lee. This week, I have a different tea. I'm going to put quotes around it. Quote what? tea variety for you that I've ever done here on the Lasso Lowdown. This week, we are going to delve into hibiscus tea. I put oh, quotes nice. around it because hibiscus is an actual flower, flowering plant. So it is not of uh, the tea Genus, right? There's like, the, as I've talked about before on this podcast, there's one tea plant all black tea, all green tea, all white tea, which is really a variation mm-hmm. on green tea, all stems from the same plant. Hibiscus does not. So, very much like um, the South African rooibos tea that I talked about before, hibiscus is a type of flower, type of different plant than the tea plant that they actually dry and they make, quote, tea out of, but it's naturally. Uh, uncaffeinated because it's not the tea plant right mm-hmm. Be, um, and it's very popular with folks uh, as a very light tea again it's something that you can have at night the version I have is from a company called Buddha Teas which I actually really appreciate mm-hmm. they're actually pretty uh, price conscious Buddha Teas not very expensive and this uh, iteration of the hibiscus flower is deep red that I have today so it's a very deep red looking tea hmm. so I'm going to Pour that here and have a little hibiscus tea and tell you all what I think of it.
1: Survey says
0: It's good, man. It's really flowery. I'm not sure it's what you would want out of tea based on what you've told me.
1: No, not really. I, I, as much as most people very much enjoy herbal teas and I understand the appeal of it, really a kind of flowery taste in tea is not my focus.
0: Yeah, no caffeine. It's not going to wake you up in the mm-hmm. morning. It's probably something like you know, you're at, a, you're at a nice bed and breakfast for yourself. But Spencer, let's pretend like you would pay for a nice bed and breakfast. So let's put yourself in a different mental category.
1: I understand Motel 6. How far removed is that from what you're talking about?
0: <laughs> it's that, but get rid of all the people and make it nice. And mm. uh, hmm. you're sitting out on a nice porch or veranda, and it's 3 o'clock in the afternoon. You want a little something. A hibiscus tea will be good for you. Also, Spencer, there's a reason I picked hibiscus tea. Why did I pick hibiscus tea this week? Because hibiscus is produced in massive quantities ah. and exported from the country of Nigeria. That's Little right, done, sir. hibiscus very topical. tea, very, very popular export um, out of Nigeria. So there we go, hibiscus tea for you folks this week on tea time with Lee Spencer. So are- go ahead.
1: Our comfort foods this week are cheesecake and hibiscus tea, sir. We know how to treat ourselves.
0: Spencer, are we? Um,
1: are we about done with this amuse-bouche and ready to get into the main course? <laughs> At what point do you just actually start becoming Ted Lasso? As we've, as we've seen, both Ted Lasso and Led Tasso are just identities that can be take over a person. Are you worried that you may channel him too much by the time this podcast is done? Touch your toes! Etch your foot fingers, ladies! Touch
0: each other's toes! It
1: is already happening.
0: Let's do it, Spencer. Let's jump into the recap here for
1: Season 2, Episode 3, The Rightest Thing. While Hand in My Pocket by Alanis Morissette Plays, a song I grew up with, Ted arrives in Rebecca's office only to meet a new secretary at the desk. We have a new character on the show, Nora. Sir, initial thoughts. Nora is a character. What do you think? Um. So I don't want to steal your thunder here because you were talking to me a little bit before
0: we started recording, but I actually did have the same independent thought that you did, which is this young, like, really super with it, like, smart beyond her years, you know, girl... Uh, mm-hmm gets thrown into these narratives it's a very popular trope i oftentimes roll my eyes at it i think i've even talked about on this podcast or a different podcast before Mm -hmm. like sort of rolling my eyes at the idea that these 12 to 14 year old girls can be this smart this one i bought and i don't know why maybe it's because i just implicitly trust ted lasso the show maybe it's because this actor acted it really well which she did Mm -hmm. or maybe the writing was really good but it's my thought on it is: this is a trope. It's often overdone. It's executed pretty well in this episode.
1: What did you think? Perfectly said. I have nothing to add. To that that is exactly my thoughts. It, archetype that I find inherently frustrating, but is played successfully here. Yep. Uh, they two of them immediately go into a perfect Ted Lasso banter of where they start discussing concepts ranging from reincarnation to horse pee, as one does. While it's pretty wild. Uh, re- yeah, Rebecca and Sassy Smurf in her office are discussing uh, the recent removal of her lower back tattoo and whether she misses it.
0: <laughs> Shout out to Sassy Smurf for taking...
1: Getting the, the getting the back tattoo and then changing with the times. As It is an impressive gesture on her part. What I find even more impressive is where the scene goes next of where Sassy Smurf and Marble Man are reunited and in Sassy a... Sassy Smurf! Fa- in a fascinating decision... The show decides to quickly skip, like, what could have been a season's worth of romantic plot drama or romantic plot tumor and just reveal that, of course, she told Rebecca that the two of them hooked up. Because, of course, she would. They're best friends. Yeah, it's stinky. It makes absolute sense. It throws away needless tension and drama the way the show loves to do unexpectedly. But it caught me completely off guard. Kudos to them. So,
0: the anti-friends... Are we calling Ted Lasso the anti-friends? Are we calling them the anti-friends? I'll let you make this decision. Well, remember we had a previous episode where you were like, Oh, yeah, other, sorry. Yes, other I shows, understand now. You said other shows. This was the one of the really great Spencer moments on the Lasso. I was so proud of you for this one. Because Spencer just goes, well, other shows would probably... Um, you know, not have the characters tell each other that this happened, go about business as normal, and then eventually mm. bring it back up like 25 episodes later and it'd be this super dramatic thing and everybody's mad that it wasn't vetted previously. And I was just like, Spencer, I think you're just taking a pot shot at Friends. And you were like, yep, that's pretty much it.
1: <laughs> I'm, kind, I'm kind of doing that again. This would be such a Friends plot line that they would have run with is just, oh, when is this going to turn out? When is it going to happen? When's it going to be revealed? How is she going to react? And just keep that tension going forever. So this was like, Nah, that's not the story we're telling. It's done. They would have talked off camera because, of course, they would have. Yeah, kudos to that. Great, I really like that choice. Uh, Ted jokes about whether Nora might be his, to which you know, uh, Flo does Uh-oh. basic math and say that Uh-oh. it's only been, <laughs> it's only been six months, which I was I love they worked that in so we now finally have a data point of how long it has been six months. Uh, and uh oh, uh oh. T- She also notes that Ted also didn't finish...
0: Okay, let's move on.
1: Moving on,
0: No need to talk about science in front of the boss.
1: Sassy's apparently in town for a conference, and so Nora will be spending time with Rebecca to make up for the last six years of absence, which Rebecca seems really excited about. Ted starts to feel even more awkward as the conversation starts transitioning to the idea that apparently Nora's only one cobblestone, one wayward cobblestone away from her first period, which, awkward conversation. Is take part of it. That's
0: a really funny line.
1: That <laughs> is a great line. So he leaves with a John Wooden reference to make each day your masterpiece. TTFN. This leads Flo to I'll answer tell you, depression. I'll tell
0: you what I like about this scene, though, before you you move on to the transition with Flo and, and Rebecca. I'll tell you what I liked is that, um, you know, we just keep getting moments of adults being adults, right? It's, like Ted and Flo hooked yeah. up, and he walks in, and it's not the sort of like, what we see oftentimes in popular media where he like opens the door, sees Flo runs away. Oh, I can't speak to her. It's going to be so awkward. What do I say? What do I do? Let's vet this for three episodes. Instead, mm-hmm. he just walks in and goes, Sassy Smurf. Good to see you. And, they hug, and they're just adults. And yes. that's it. And I really just enjoyed it. It was a breath of fresh air for sure.
1: I feel like television has gotten so used to capping the emotional maturity of its characters at like, not even senior level high school, but like no, sophomore yeah. level high school. Yeah, for sure because everybody just inherently finds that funny and relatable, but it makes it an entirely unrealistic experience of how we either would hope adults would interact or how they actually interact. This show does not do that at all. It does lead them to now ask the question that both Rebecca and the entire fan base have been wondering Uh though, (laughs) was Ted good and bad (laughs) to which apparently he always talks like that, even in the sack, but he also was so eager to please. And it was fabulous. Ted Good in the Sack confirmed. Rebecca, on the other hand, seems more than a little bit squicked out of the idea and promptly spits up a biscuit, leading Lee and shippers everywhere to start crying as the show starts to dunk on that the idea of that ship.
0: Not a good sign for my shipping of Ted and Rebecca that Rebecca pukes at the idea. Although, I will say she asked the question. So, you know, let's see. Let's make some lemonade here, folks, because she, she did was at least interested in how Ted performed in bed. I will say that the cold opening this week 250 right in the middle not not too fast not too slow little red riding hood situation here no no record for the cold opening
1: as we will return to you later the show is continuing to tease the idea that's that ted may eventually find his perfect soulmate on this new banter program they keep throwing out so they're at least leaving open the idea that there could be ted shipping in the future maybe it's with someone that would never think of pairing with him before yeah uh, Ted's at a press conference and is, as usual, doing it by means of music and movie references, uh, starting with Pat Benatar, hit me with your best shot. And Fire I away. love I love the journalists are so in with Ted now that they're proud of themselves when they get the references or they play it out correctly. Because Lloyd's clearly like, yes, when he gets it right.
0: Never, ever have seen a coach command a press conference this way. I mean, it is... Power Ted. Unbelievable. I mean, like the, I think the, the person I've seen... Command them the best probably ever is Greg Popovich from the Mm -hmm. San Antonio Spurs and he's not even a rival for Ted here I mean he's got them like guessing goofy musical references and like almost like high-fiving him in the process unbelievable
1: yeah it's absolutely great it's the power of Ted compels you it's really impressive what this man's able to pull off with basically put that on a t-shirt yeah Richmond's apparently heavily favored against Coventry City the uh, game they have next and Lloyd asks Will you finally end your embarrassing string streak of draws? To which Ted responds, "Oh, Lloyd, I've never been embarrassed about having streaks in my drawers. It's all part of growing up." As much as they love Ted, even they are like, "I guess I have to write that one down as a quote." <laughs> they roll with it. Trent Crim, the independent, though, stands independent. up and asks, and Ted asks, "Well, make like Dunstan Union and bring it on." Movie reference there. Uh... I like that
0: that Trent doesn't really participate in this though. Not like the other.
1: He just kind of looks at him and goes, "Yeah,
0: okay, I I, yeah. I see what you're doing."
1: Yeah, it's just like a, mm-hmm. it's a polite it's a polite nod and then moving on. He asks the key question of, "You are well known for making a great environment in the locker room. Is Jamie, the prodigal son returned, going to disturb that?" Do, 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 Ted do, says. Do, do, do. <sighs> He doesn't think so, that Jamie's on a path to becoming a better man, and Ted is just here to help him on that journey, like his own personal Mr. Miyagi with less yard work. We cut to the locker room, where Jamie, notably, framing conversation, is off by himself. Mm -hmm. The rest of the team is clearly having a wonderful banter, they're bonding, while Jamie is very much now outside of that team vibe, which is clearly quite close, unusually close, as Dr. Sharon mentioned before. Yep. Kee- Keely arrives to show Sam his new knock. Dubai. knock! I love Keely's entrances. Everyone's immediately engaged with Keely whenever she walks in a room. Yeah, she's, she's here crazy, to show. She? She's here. Well, most people agree. She's here to show Sam his Dubai Air photoshoot photos. She offers compliments that confuse the hell out of Sam, but he picks up on the fact they're probably compliments. You're the dude. You're the You're a mantra. I, I th- <laughs> think it's compliments. Thank you. Uh, the rest of the team then circles around and does the. Kind of thing that close friends, particularly close guy friends, always do. They playfully rag on each other. It's the nature of a lot of very close friendships, and it's clear that that's what these guys are. Really close friends now. Jamie sees this dynamic. He clearly likes it. He clearly wants to participate, and so he offers his own, what is meant to be playful, criticism. It lands like a turd in the punch bowl, the exact same way Beard thought it would. It is a lead balloon. Everyone just turns and just looks at him utterly coldly at his intrusion in their friend dynamic. Yep. Jamie's immediately silenced. Doesn't have really anything to add to that. And then Keely brings up the idea she's leaving that she really would like all of these young, hot footballers to sign up with her new program that she's kind of serving as an independent consultant contributor on. Banter. B-A-N-T-R. We get this name dropped like as Colin helpfully offers, which may be telling us things about Colin we didn't know. And I love that Colin is in no way embarrassed about saying that. It's not like this is an awkward thing. It's just like, oh, Colin might be gay or bi. Who knows? Not a big deal. Banter is name-dropped, what would you say, like 12 times this episode? Yeah, it is. It's
0: obviously going to play an important role in the plot. I'm interested, though, that Keeley says to help this app get up and going, you know, having hot, you know, good looking footballers join will be helpful. I thought the whole point of the app is explained later is that there are no pictures and you can't make decisions on who you talk to based on looks at all. Like they, the whole interface is designed to stop you from doing that. Kind of a weird thing.
1: I think it's a weird thing, but I think it's a necessary recognition of the fact that that is always going to be a draw, even if it doesn't make sense. Having them endorse the product and having people know that they're on it will draw people in, even if it's kind of an anathema to what the nature of it is. But the only she only has so many tools that she can wield, and hot footballers are a necessary commodity that she has to bring to bear. For sure, uh, as you said, it is name drop so much. It's clearly going to be important going forward. I have a theory about who maybe the new team sponsor might be. We'll see. Uh, said Colin new dropped- team sponsor. Uh, things happen. I, I know you haven't seen this episode oh, yet. Okay. We're gonna go through I, it.
0: I see. I see. You think you think Banter's gonna be a sponsor of the team? Okay, gotcha.
1: I I think they've referenced them enough that it would be almost odd if they don't. I think it almost yeah. meets with some of the themes they're going with, and some of the themes the show wants to represent, and some of the things the team wants to embody. And we haven't had any other corporations mentioned to fill a gap that's clearly left by the end of this episode. So maybe. Uh, Ted and Beard can arrived. We, can
0: we talk about that? Because I, I I know we're jumping the gun, but I you, you've brought it up here, and I feel like I have a theory that's competing that I, I don't know how to shoo it, horn it in later. I think it's just natural here. Please. So we're basically talking about, okay, eventually the biggest sponsor they have, Dubai Air, is going to be pulled, obviously, because of the events in this episode. You're thinking banter At might step in. You think banter might step in. I have a theory that Rebecca, who is basically saying two middle fingers up to her sponsors, is going to get, and we learn through Higgins that they're already in dire financial straits. She is she has money, but she doesn't have that kind of money. I think she's eventually going to have to turn
1: to Rupert for help. That's this my is guess. my this is my other theory. I think Banter's not big enough. They're a fresh startup company. They're an I, practically an IPO. Uh, they don't. They're not going to have the money to fill in for Dubai Air to sponsor a major major sports team. Turning to Rupert, given that he's again name dropped in this episode and that we haven't seen him yet. And getting him more involved in a direct financial contributor, or even just using his corporate contacts to try to draw in other sponsors, feels inevitable and a necessary consequence of the very moral and ethical and right decisions that they've made. It's one of the things that they don't directly it's one of the things they leave out of the quote in this episode is that you should always do the right thing, it's not the wrong thing, but there you have to understand there are costs for it, regardless of what you do.
0: Yep. Gotcha.
1: Uh, Ted and Beard arrived and tried to start the team in training for the next game, which apparently will be Borderline violent in physicality, in Beard's words, man is a way of summarizing games beautifully. Jamie uh, though interrupts to ask whether he can say something. He says, I know I wasn't the greatest teammate, I did some shitty things, I said some shitty things, but I want each of you to know that I'm truly sorry truly sorry, and I'm ready to do whatever it takes to make it up to you. Yeah? Again, Jamie has made a lot of progress away from the team. Not, not in the view of the team. We know that he is a better, more complete, remorseful person, some of those past deeds, than they have ever seen before. The team doesn't know that for shit, though. And so they, hearing what we might interpret as a legitimately, I'm humbling myself, I want to be better, I want to be better with you, kind of line from Jamie, which seems well-meant, clearly interpret it as just that much bullshit. And start to just lay out all of his sins. How do I convince everyone I'm cool now? <laughs> we'll get that line later. Such a great... I, th-
0: yeah, I, I actually do think Jamie's cool now, but it is kind of a funny thought of like, man, I've been an asshole for so long. I know that I've changed. How do I show everybody that I'm not an asshole anymore? Kind of a kind of a quandary. A little bit of a pretzel he's in.
1: There's a debate on the subject of buying everybody PS5s. So I have a bit of a different view than Ted does on the subject, but yeah. we'll get to there. Yeah, yeah. What what should you spend money on other than love, as Jamie discusses? But we'll get Seriously. there. Uh, the team has said just starts to now lay out a few key examples of his misdeeds over the years. All of these notably happened off camera, all of which are reasonable in what we would expect of Jamie, but I don't think we've ever seen any of these before. Call uh, him a Col- jaundice worm Colin, a piece of a to- hometown paper. <laughs> <laughs> which Colin clearly, clearly is struggling with the idea that he is a worm is something that is stuck in his craw and will never leave. Uh, Bumper catch, which I don't think we ever knew this. We've seen this this uh, player for several for two, last two seasons. I Think this is our first lear- learning of his name. How did you learn his name? Uh, they said it. Oh, they did. Okay, Jamie did catch that. Jimmy apologizes to him. I'm, I'm sorry, Bumper Catch. So okay, I'm gonna have to I'm gonna have to tell you that I do watch it
0: with subtitles on but specifically Keely and Jamie. St- their British is as warm a warm of British that is yeah. really hard for me.
1: There are moments we have to replay every now and then. It's like, okay, Keely was just speaking in the most high, squeaky fast that she possibly could. Let's rewind that, please. Yeah, and Jamie's tough, too. Uh, so, it's Colin. John just wore him in the profile of his hometown paper. Sorry about that, Colin. Bumber catch. Hit on his mom in front of his dad. Whew. Apologize for that. Uh, tell your father I'm sorry and give Janet my best. <laughs> Which... I don't know if that makes it worse or it gives him kudos that he actually took the time to remember her name. I think little a little of Calibé. A little better. A little better, I think too. Uh, Richard apparently, based on transla- uh, translation from Zorro, is pissed that oh, Jamie well. cupped a fart and put it in his face because they are back in jun- back in junior high. Uh, Jamie actually apparently remembers that and is sorry. Then we start just getting into a just run and a blur of things, some fair, some not. The least fair is from Isaac. You got us relegated. That one, of all of them, is bullshit. That one, in no fairness can be put on Jamie, he did not get them relegated. He was playing well, he was getting some of their only wins, he got transferred against his will, and while playing for his new team, he got them a victory. That's not on him.
0: So I think you could come at it from a couple angles. One is you quite literally kicked the goal that got us to relegation. Unfair. I mean, what was he supposed Absolutely. to do? Play He's playing the game. The other one you could come in is that through your own actions, you got kicked off this team. Like, because oh. you were so, so difficult here, and because we didn't have an ace, or our second ace, Um, shout out Danny, football is life, our mm-hmm. second ace, we weren't as good, therefore we got relegated. That one... Also I'm unfair. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, James I think it's about twenty percent valid, about eighty percent unvalid. Then I would say that what was kind of left implicit in his comment, at least for me, is not necessarily that Jamie got him relegated. Is that he, in an interview, bragged about wanting to do it. That in that part, I think, if I was in the in the locker room, I would really have taken issue with. Yeah, I mean, yeah, you're playing. First off, you. You're an asshole, you got kicked off the team, you go back to Man City, you're you're playing on a better team, you're probably going to beat us and we'll go to relegation. You don't need to get in front of a microphone and say, yeah, it's going to be really great to send my old team back down to the, the Champions League. Like,
1: that's that's a tough one. He is with another team at the time. Players constantly talk smack to each other. That's not unusual. And notably, Nate was attempting to use that to get the team more fired up, which worked. Sure, I'm not saying that Jamie
0: should like was out like somehow like inherently out of line, but I do think if you come back into that locker room, I the, you you have to expect that level of shit talking to c- come with you. Like it's not, I mean, it's 100%. not out of place, but it, you know, it, it's not surprising that they carry it with them. But I, I I I go on this long diatribe to say I feel like there was a lot more emotion in that like, hey, you got us relegated, than than actually like, hey, here's the individual steps I'm upset with. It it was
1: just a whole barrel of things that are kind of coming out of Isaac. It's a perfectly reasonable line for Isaac to say in the sense that Isaac would say this. Somebody in the room would say that. It's just unfair in the cold light of day that Isaac may think about tomorrow. We'll see. I also love Jan's line, who clearly has no dog in this fight, but feels the need to say, I don't know you, but I don't like you. Gotta love the Dutch. Yep. Ted interrupts things as they start to spiral out of control and sends the team onto the pitch, while Sam gives him the just Mm -hmm. most I-told-you-so smirk, Mm -hmm. which, like, Sam, you're being a bit of a douche this season. Come on. You don't need to do that right now.
0: I don't know. We we differ. We're on other sides of the fence here. I think that my guess is that Ted went to Sam and said, hey, I know we talked about it, but look, I've decided to bring Jamie on. Sam probably reiterated his point and said, coach, it's your call. I don't think this is a good idea. I don't think the locker room is going to respond well. And when Jamie tries this not great apology, I mean...
1: It's an effort.
0: It's an <laughs> it's, effort. But it's not, It's not, I would not give it an A-plus effort. Um, I, I think it's fair for, for Sam to point out to Ted, hey man, look, I told what, you this. I, I think it, it's a fair thing to do.
1: It is absolutely fair. It is perfectly reasonable. I absolutely agree that conversation happened off camera. However, unless Ted's an idiot, he had to know something like this would happen on day one. And it's unreasonable to think that this is necessarily going to be the vibe forever. It's Ted. It's more just a Sam. At this moment, stop pouring salt in the wound. Of course, you were right. Yeah, I kind of expected Ted to like look back at Sam and go, "Okay,
0: just give me. Okay, just give me a second. It's right, like, right, yes, I obviously. Hold come on, on. Give,
1: give me a little while, Sam. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, Sam has. Ted has patience. He knows this is a long-term thing. This is an investment. A clear, clearly, there's going to be some difficulty on day one because it's Jamie. Hmm. Of course, there's going to be repercussions. Led to Meanwhile. Rebecca and Nora are at lunch in a place that I would say is clearly meant for a younger age group. Uh, yeah, but it looks awesome. I was going to say this. I want to go to that little finger sandwich it place.
0: It so great. If we were in London, Spencer, I would be like, look, dude, let's just suck it up and go into this place because the macaroons look dope.
1: No, suck it up. Give me a tiara. I want to go to this place. I, wa- <laughs> I want the princess experience and I want finger food sandwiches, damn it. Now, uh, let's see how many we can fit in our mouth. Absolutely. Uh, Rebecca's clearly struggling with the idea that Nora is not a little girl anymore, despite this being the last time we saw her. She's 12, 13. Is that all she is?
0: In this, I think she's what? They said her name, didn't they? I think, they I said know what she was. I think
1: she's 14. She's on that, you know, teen, preteen kind of cusp. She's about her to have age her first period, yeah. so around that mm-hmm. Uh They agree to leave, and Nora drops the Ooh. absolutely brutal haymaker of a line of, oh, You're not going to disappear for six years, right? Jesus Christ, Nora. She's still getting used to you again. can't throw out that humor that fast.
0: I'll go get the check. Oh, you're coming back, right? What do you mean?
1: Just wanted to make sure you didn't disappear for another six years. Hot fire. Punching her into the earth. Jesus. I mean, we later learned this is just how Nora does humor. Rebecca has no frame of reference to know that at this point.
0: I actually really like that about Dora. I love people who like throw haymakers like that in casual conversation, like that fourth wall breaking all the time. It's a that's a, just a oh, bon appetit.
1: It's it's Jan, but she means to do it. Essentially, is her style. There of you weekend. go. Yeah. It's an on purpose Dutch. Yeah. Can we use that as an expression now? Of just you're on purpose Dutch. I like I like yeah, that. There we go. <laughs> at uh, training, uh, Ted calls Jamie over, uh, who continues to do hip loosening exercises as he kind of sashays over to him and says, Jamie, we're going to start you on the reserve squad. We're going to let the fellas see that you earned your spot back. Jamie, again, demonstration of how, demonstrated how far he's come, immediately goes, yeah, that's a good idea. I'm with you, coach.
0: Nothing more likable than watching somebody humbly yeah. overcome adversity with their effort, effortless God-given talents. So he's
1: still he's, pretty cocky. He's come farther. But he's still Jamie. We're never going to leave that behind. He's still a cocky bastard, but he's matured about it too. Sure enough. Ted asks him not to try to do too much out there, but as Beard expresses, Jamie heard him, but didn't exactly listen. Nate Did on the you, other hand... you he heard
0: me? I do. Do you think he's going to listen to me? I do not.
1: <laughs> Beard's the best. Nate on the other hand is just so happy that the team is going to kill Jamie because Jamie, as we saw, was not particularly nice to him either.
0: I have a question, Professor. Please. You in the last episode kind of threw out, hey, it'll be interesting to see the dynamic between Nate, who is now a coach, and Jamie, who used to be his tormentor. This seems to be the only thing they give you
1: about how Nate feels about
0: Jamie. I'm wondering if you
1: feel like they left
0: something on the table there.
1: I was disappointed. They went a different route for getting Jamie reintegrated back into the team, really building up that Sam is possibly one of the most major characters this season and focusing it around his route. I'm a bit disappointed to see Nate's story arc left on the table in that regard, because I thought it would have been an important part of him growing up. Maybe we'll get it later, but with how quick they brushed it aside and how quick Jamie's now bonding with his main adversary, Sam, I don't think we are much. And okay. I'm a little disappointed about that. Yeah, I got gotcha. you. Me too. Uh, Jamie proceeds to demonstrate his absolute usual skill, but notably while hogging the ever-loving crap out of the ball as he charges down the pitch. Yep. This leads Sam to interrupt, with an absolutely brutal but perfectly legal slide tackle on him, which just knocks Jamie flying. Uh, He offers to Jamie that things have changed, and that Jamie can no longer bring that weak rubbish his way anymore. Power move by Sam, Jamie is left utterly confused as to what the hell to do with that, and particularly when Colin feels the need to walk up and just pour salt in the wound. Jamie is no longer top dog, at least in an emotional sense with the team anymore, and he's clearly struggling to see people just abjectly reject him. That's a new thing to him. Rebecca and Nora, on the other hand, are walking together and they discuss old people's love of Agatha Christie, to which I feel personally attacked, to have it framed as all the old people like Agatha Christie, piss off show. Someone dies every twenty minutes, yeah. Preferably in the
0: apparently in the audience primarily. Uh, oh, can we go back to that, that Jamie um, Sam thing? Please I I like I always like to point out The consistency of the show um, I like that This is obviously Sam saying Boom Alpha pants Right now I'm the boss around here Let me show this punk What's up Goes in Hard slide tackle Stands over him With the shit talk Does not cuss does because remember in degree. the last episode he he uh, he talks to, to he feels uh, guilty when he, and he does, cusses, and he says I feel guilty every time I cuss. Yeah, I just want to point out the consistency there. I really <laughs> like that stuff.
1: It's a very similar gesture to when Jamie, to when uh, in some ways that uh, Jamie was mocking Sam when he was on the ground back in like season one episode one, particularly with like, a little head rub that he gives to Jamie when he's on the ground, indicating that the power has shifted. But it's still Sam doing it. He can't ever stop being Sam, even when he's purposely trying to be an alpha dick to Jamie right now.
0: Yeah, alright, now we can go back to your AARP membership and your love of Agatha Christie
1: I like old people things, stop, stop ragging me on it uh, <laughs> They come to a, a Dolls of England display at the British Girls Shop which I was so disappointed to look up and find out wasn't really a thing Yeah, shit, that would be cool too I would go there, I would be deeply uncomfortable because I've never liked dolls, but it seemed like it would be a fascinating display and if anything, I would love to read each of their backstories apparently because they sound great
0: be like an anthropological thing for me. I just go and watch people.
1: Uh, Nora says she's too old for dolls now, sadly, but she's also put off by the tragic orphan stories that each doll apparently has.
0: And I would be too, by the way.
1: Yeah, this is very much like—is every one of these dolls living an Oliver Twist story, and you're going to find you're to find a good home where they can be cared and loved for? Now, is that the trope they're going with this? Apparently. Uh... They agree that Americans do the historical doll concept better from their misguided sense of, imp- of inherent triumph. But no one does orphans better than the Brits. and Your girl
0: Rebecca life. needs to watch out with that.
1: Uh, I'm with it. It's got some truth to that line. I don't know about that. An eight sense
0: of triumph. I mean, we did win the war, so.
1: <laughs> misguided. <laughs> it's always the worst. Uh, Uncle Roy and Phoebe, though, are now leaving the doll shop with Phoebe now having a fresh new doll for herself, which she politely thanks him for. As he and Rebecca lock eyes for (laughs) presumably, I would say like the first time in six months, right? Yep. Uh, Sam is. We now cut to presumably that. I don't know. It's weird. It's not that evening because we get to see the two of them walking later. But I guess it's just Sam exercising in a dark room.
0: Yeah, he's just in. He's just in a training room. Yeah, I think. Yeah, I think it's still midday.
1: Midday. He's riding alone on his exercise bike and when he texts his dad with a link to his photo shoot and an offer that uh, him and his mom can have free tickets whenever they want. Wait a second, Deal? I got
0: the full text message conversation. I like to do this when they when they Please. show the phone. First off, I'd like to point out an iPhone. A lot of, a lot of blue messages, blue Advertising. bubbles. <laughs> a lot of blue bubbles going on here. All right, here it is. So here's the full the full back and forth. This is in a previous conversation. Sam's dad said thank you for the call earlier. Sam said thumbs up. Sam's dad starts this current conversation, picking it back up. Good luck against Coventry's son. Sam, thank you, Dad. Oh, and check this out. Gives him the picture and the link. Free tickets for you and mom. You know, thumbs up emoji. Sam puts it away. Then he gets a text. Dad, did you know Dubai Air is owned by Cerithium Oil? Sam, no. Meaning, Sam's dad sends him an article titled Cerithium Oil Refuses to Clean Up Latest Oil Spill in the Niger Delta. Dad, to see you choose a shill for a corporation that has ruined the lives of so many breaks my heart. Okay, that's the back and forth. That's what we see on the text screen. My question for you, Mr. Mm -hmm. Spencer. Is this a fair... Is Sam's dad being fair here? God,
1: no! Dear God, it's understandable. It's a very clearly emotional issue that he's coming coming to this with a lot of passion and a lot of immediate reaction to it. But his treatment of Sam here really put me off. Sam clearly is being cold cocked by this, he doesn't know that this is the background, he doesn't know what he stumbled into, and Sam's dad knows that! But he's still treating it as if Sam has personally betrayed not only him, but all of the Nigerian people. This is a very what-the-fuck moment from Sam's dad that honestly heavily affects my view of him that we've gotten from Sam from one text conversation, which is not entirely fair, but it's all I got to go on. Yeah, this is
0: an Uncle Lee out there to the kids situation because, you know, in this, I think the better thing to do, right? Here's the advice from Uncle Lee. The better thing to do in this type of situation is to do one of two things. Is to say, hey, I know you didn't know about this, but here's all of the background, blah, 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 blah. It would mean a lot to me if you would take X action. Totally fair thing to say. Mm -hmm. Two is to say, hey, actually, let's do three. Two would be to say, hey, son, I'm disappointed that you don't know this backstory. Like I want you to be more knowledgeable about, Mm -hmm. you know, geopolitical issues that are that are going on in our country. Like just because you now live in the UK, I don't want you to be disconnected from our country. Also another fair thing to do. And then number three, I think Sam's dad could very easily point out, hey, I'm not too pleased with the people you work for because they should be vetting this stuff for you. They know you're Nigerian. They should be doing a little bit of research on these companies before they throw you into a photo shoot to make sure that you're fully, you know, uh, read in on on the you know the issues at play here for these particular companies. I think any three of those would be at least somewhat more fair. But this particular angle of, hey, son, you've betrayed me, uh, not pleased it's- with it, especially in light of Ted's assessment last episode that not everybody has a great dad like Sam.
1: Yeah, it's a really interesting read. And I also... It's one of the things I actually don't like about this scene, that it doesn't feel it's, like, sufficiently set up for how important it now becomes for Sam going forward. It frames it as if this isn't something that Sam knew about at all. This wasn't Sam's cause, this wasn't something that Sam believed in, until his dad personally attacked him on the subject of it. It frames it almost in the same light of, why is Jamie so good at sports? Because his dad's abusive to him in that regard. And I don't like that framing for how important this is to Sam, and how good of a cause it is, too. Because it's important to note, Dubai Air, not a real company. Cerithium Oil, not a real company. The environmental degradation of the Nigerian Delta as a result of oil company abuse and trade-up corruption in the Nigerian government. Real fucking big issue in real life. And one the show's now heavily going into. So, yeah, I actually didn't really like this setup for what's going to be an important plot arc from Sam. We get that, you know, he cares about environmental causes, that he wants to, you know, advertise for environmental companies. We got that last season. We, get the, we know that Dubai Air is one of the main sponsors of the team and that Sam's doing a photo shoot for it. We've got that earlier throughout this season. But it appears from this conversation that Sam apparently has never heard of Cerithium or their misdeeds or has any frame of reference on this before. Because he just does a no dad, I don't know what's going on kind of response to this. And I would have liked if this had been Sam's own cause and been built up over the last few episodes more than it's suddenly being thrown at us in this one text conversation. Which... Feels like a lack of organic build-up and setup up for what's going to be an important arc for the character. Curious of your thoughts, though. Did this work for you as a way of setting up what's going to be a driving force for, I think, the next three or four episodes? Or was it coming too too quick, too fast?
0: No, I think it worked. I I, I think we can... I mean, Sam's dad is human, and he's reacting in a emotional way that is not fair but I think people do that people do that in life and when it's kind of believable for me that if he's there and he's seeing this all the time it's super emotional for him and so his reaction to it is not 100% uh, rational and I, I buy that I don't like it. I, I want to sit here and criticize his dad for it. But if you're talking about just the general writing of the show, yeah, I bought into the, the nope. reaction there.
1: I completely buy that. It will be important that we get some other frame of reference with Sam's dad later to get a more rounded view of the character. Because this is the only direct data point we've ever had on the man. Everything, everything else has just been through Sam's perspective. This is so we all we got is this one text conversation. So it'll be important for the show to give us more so we understand him in some other different light. My complaint is not necessarily with the writing of how the scene plays out. It's the structuring of now setting up a plot arc by means of a text conversation in a dark room. I felt like it could have been more Sam's plot arc rather than the one that his dad's putting upon him just seemingly right now. But we'll see how that goes. Yep. Uh, Back with Nora and Phoebe walking together, one of my favorite scenes in the episode, uh, where they're discussing the uh, new doll that Phoebe just got and the tragic backstory that it has to have. It's modern, though. Her parents were cancelled. I had an honest-to-God chuckle at that. Pretty funny. Uh, Meanwhile, behind them, Rebecca and Roy are talking about John, and that Rebecca, notably, did not dump him because of what Roy said, but because that he was right about what he said. Very important distinction. I liked that.
0: Yeah, that was a Spencer distinction right there. I like that. No, you didn't tell me what to do. It just happened to be the right advice anyway.
1: She's complimenting him, but saying that it was her own choice, and I understand that. I'm not saying it's wrong. It just reminded me of something you'd say. Oh, no, I'm doing that right now. That's what I'm doing right now. Uh, it's, um, they discuss the idea that Keely's They discuss Keeley's focus on banter, which, is we've discussed, is a dating app without pictures. Which... When Keeley breaks it down more, we're going to discuss our thoughts on this idea. But we'll get there. Okay. Uh, Phoebe brings up the idea of Uncle Roy. Can we have ice cream for dinner? No, that's dumb. You're right. Thank you for helping me to set boundaries. I love them. I love all of Roy's
0: relationships. This is a, a talk about the episodes within the episodes. You know what we could what we could have. You know, I would love a thirty minute episode of Roy and Phoebe walking around in the world. Absolutely, give it to me. You know how like the West Wing does. Um, episodes where like they did the one episode that was basically like a a mock documentary of the West Wing of the characters in the West Wing that a third party did Mm -hmm. and they just did like an hour of that documentary I would love if this show would do that if like one one episode (laughs) we don't see Ted Rebecca all we see is Roy and Phoebe walking around in the world and having a day oh give it to me that would be so great
1: if if Trent Krim the independent is creating his own documentary Mm -hmm. on the team and the players both former and current and doing that kind of narration while following the players, I'm down. Um, uh, Rebecca wonderfully sums up, wow, she really loves you. I know. It's fucking annoying. Wonderful Roy is in there. Mm -hmm. Rebecca loves that she's recorrecting with Nora, but Nora's really not interested in any of the activities that she had planned, to which Roy offers the absolutely sage wisdom that adults forget that kids don't actually need to be constantly entertained. They just want to feel like they're part of your lives. Man, is that true. Absolutely true. Something I all, agree all, that we'll it's remember.
0: true. But we are also two guys on a podcast without kids. We have some friends with kids who, if they heard us listening to this and going, yeah, that's sage wisdom. That's true. would tell us to shut up.
1: <laughs> Absolutely. We tell them to shut up back. This is how we run. Uh, oh, show. He demonstrates the, the uh, wisdom of this advice by immediately offering to invite Phoebe to a podiatrist with him, to which she responds like this is him getting her the most perfect pony for Christmas. Further proving his point.
0: That night, Rebecca I think there's also something in there that Roy is missing, which is kids also like to feel like
1: adults. Yeah, I think that's actually what he means. He, when he's saying that they want to be part of our lives, you're bringing them into the adult world. You're making yeah, them yeah, part yeah. of the adult mm-hmm. experience. I think that's yeah. what he's going for in that. There you go. It's not yeah. just, it's not just you take them with you everywhere. Kids look bored that quick, but you make them feel included in your own experiences. They'll be down with that shit.
0: The distinction I thought was maybe he was he was going for they want to be a part of your lives because they love you and they want to feel that connection of being like a part of your existence as opposed to they, they just like doing adult shit. So you can be like, hey, Phoebe, let's we're going to H&R Block to work out some of these deductions. And she's going to be like, fuck yeah, that's an adult thing to do. Let's, let's I could do rock adult- it on.
1: It, it, it's one of the things I've loved to do with my nieces and nephews if we're if I'm doing something adulting and I just include them in any way in the process and make them feel like they're a viable part of it they'll tell stories about that shit for months yeah. afterwards
0: yeah they love it for sure it's a great point
1: uh, that night at Rebecca's place Rebecca walks into Nora's room and this is the only time I'm going to say this because I feel like I'm, I'm limited to one time an episode and calling Rebecca hot but dear god does that shirt highlight how stacked she is there I'm done uh, Ooh, duh I'm here She
0: invites
1: invites Nora out to dinner uh, Down to dinner in a movie Which apparently she cooks now Nora offers her usual snark on the subject of that Popcorn Before then offering How about you, you know, come and shadow me tomorrow Follow me around my job, see what I do It could be boring, it could be very boring Nora excitedly accepts Because she's apparently been interested in the process Of running a football club Ever since Rebecca started to do it Oh my heart That's a sweet line right there as much as they've been I don't think lives. that's true. I don't think I, it's
0: true. You know when I think she started getting interested in watching a football club and how it's managed?
1: Tell me, sir. I have a theory of my own.
0: <laughs> the day that she turned on her little uh, Amazon Fire iPad. Ooh, look at that. Taking a shot at Apple. And
1: saw Sam Abassania. I'm not certain whether she has a crush on Sam or is just in awe of him, but she's clearly fascinated by him, as we see in the yeah, course of this episode. I
0: think that's when she got super interested, yep.
1: It is still a well-meant line by Nora that clearly makes Rebecca very happy. And Rebecca sure. leaves the room overjoyed.
0: I actually think it's a it showed, it continues to show Nora's sophistication because I think that a large part of what she wants to do is to get around the team because she's you know, there's some star power there. She's a big fan of Sam. But I think she understands that this is a nice thing that Rebecca is doing for her and she responds
1: in kind with a very nice comment. Very possible. Uh, we get the return of Shannon. Haven't seen her all season, I don't believe. Shannon. Uh, Beard apparently couldn't wait to hand off the coffee to Ted, so Shannon has stepped in, because Beard is having Jane issues. We get a few of those over the course of this episode. (laughs) Another episode within the episode. Uh, Shannon confronts Ted over the fact, when are they going to win a damn game? And they enjoy some pleasant banter back and forth to clearly show that their dynamic is still going strong. What's the word, Larry Bird? Uh, Is it just me or does she drop into an American accent when she responds to that? She kind of did, yeah. Don't she call got... me Larry Bird. When are you going to fucking win a match? Well said. Uh, Rebecca introduces uh, Higgins to Nora, who immediately, wonderful employee that he is, tries to hype Rebecca up. She utterly fumbles that exercise. <laughs> and they move away with her eating a bit of crow. Question for you, Spencer. You've managed people. You've had people that uh,
0: report into you. Have you ever had an employee try to do this for you at any situation? Yes. Yeah, me too. Absolutely. <laughs> what did you did you say? Did you do what Rebecca did and go, "Hey, what are you talking about?" Or did you just kind of nod and go, "Okay, yeah." Well, I let's, nod. Let's uh, I, let's I let nod, us run.
1: Yeah, it was one of those nod smiles, and giving them a thumbs thumbs up when we walk away, kind of thing. I was much more on board of, "Okay, this is the thing that we all do when we're introduced to family members or whatever else." Of, "Oh yeah, this awesome person I work with, they're so great." It's a customary exercise that Rebecca's apparently utterly unfamiliar with.
0: Yeah, Uncle Lee to the kids out there, be the ripe uh, the uh, the the rap hype man. For your boss Like you know Like when you watch a rap show And there's the guy in the back And like every time Like a good line goes The guy in the back is like Yeah say that shit You know like That
1: Like be that for your
0: boss But um, Pick your spots Don't do it all the time
1: Yeah It's definitely like A first introduction kind of thing Of where I'll I I do that with my employees All the time When like I'm meeting You know my, my, my My secretary's son For the first time I hyped her up to him Because of course you would It's just a polite kind of thing Of where I really enjoy Working with this person And I want you to know that For sure Um Meanwhile, they go into what is supposed to be Rebecca's sac- interpersonal sanctum, to which Keeley has completely intruded on and made it her own space, because apparently when Rebecca's not there, Keeley just steps into an office that smells better. The
0: least shocking thing
1: of the episode. I just sort of Absolutely. assumed we all
0: knew that Keeley was in Rebecca's office. I
1: mean, because she's in Rebecca's office where Rebecca's working there. One of our first times of them actually like, directly interacting with each other was just Keeley just walking in and taking off her shoes and just meshing them into Rebecca's couch. She, every space is a Keeley space. You can't keep her away. Yep. Uh, we have her notably introduced to Rebecca as the director of marketing. Did we know that before that she actually had that title? I did not know she was director level, no. That is interesting. It makes sense that she's been in all, these, all of the inner level meetings with Higgins, but I didn't actually know that she'd gotten that kind of promotion off screen. Kudos for, kudos for Keeley. Yeah. Uh, they discussed the idea of Keely now kind of working, or at least part-time doing a side gig for banter. Which she describes as a less superficial dating app alternative, which is completely anonymous, has no photos, and offers you the opportunity to offer just words and personalities. Nora's down with this idea. I'm curious of your thoughts. How popular would this be?
0: For men? <laughs> what a perspective you want to offer here. Uh, well, I mean, I, you know, before I got married, I, I, w- I did these dating apps and dating, dating websites and stuff. I, I'm not sure it would work too well, to be honest with you. Um, mm. as much as it sucks to say, uh, I think the vast majority of people and probably myself included, like the first thing you look at and like the thing that you really hone in on is the picture. I mean, like that's where you, that's kind of where it starts. I mean, like you have to have a picture that looks pretty good, not too good. Cause you don't want to disappoint on the first meeting. You know, you don't want to walk in and be disappointing based on your really good picture. I just have a hard time believing too many people would sign up for this. Now, I take that back. Let me let me be more nuanced. I think people would sign up for it. I think people would have a hard time agreeing to meet people in person that they met on banter because there would be that sort of like, well, I don't know what they look like. And I could be stuck in a coffee shop with somebody I find repulsive. And I'm sorry. That's just how the human, how, how I think the dating scene works. So I don't think this would be very successful in practice. You?
1: I think it's trying to appeal to the better angels of our nature, but I agree with you that we have some practical problems for what its chosen focus is. As a dating app, this seems like a tough sell. It's not going to necessarily get much of a clientele on there. Parents matters quite a bit in who you choose to date and what you're attracted to. That's not necessarily superficial. That's just what you're attracted to. That's yeah, not you problem.
0: do have eyes. People, We all have eyes. I will say that I want to back up a little bit here and make another point, is that Keeley is not doing work. For banter. Keeley is doing work for a venture venture capital firm who apparently has invested in banter. Correct, and wants her yes. to do some PR work for it. Why do I make that distinction? Because Keeley is a big time player in, in the PR and marketing world apparently, in Great yeah. Britain. Is that actual VC firms who hold the purse strings for these, you know, new projects are going to her directly to try
1: to see if they can hype up their investment. Keeley's kind of a big deal. Now, one thing this could be. One thing we're not assessing is if this could appeal to certain demographics, or people are looking for certain things. It could have a very passionate following base. I'm just wondering how big it would be. Does sound like it could be great for matching friends or matching even like pen pals kind of thing for a less intimate nature of a relationship. But we'll see how it goes. The show is clearly wanting to hype it as being the new the new best thing. That's what I mean.
0: I think people won't. Would, would sign up for this, but I'm not sure that they would agree to actually meet up with people in person that they met on this thing in large numbers. I don't know. It's it, hard to tell.
1: I also have kind of the assumption that it would appeal primarily to a demographic people that would have a lot more difficulty making that jump to meeting in person anyway. And I don't think this would necessarily make that easier. Maybe it would, because it gives you the time to actually set a relationship that's not built based on appearances first before then you agree to meet. It seems like it's, we're, it's, an, it's a scenario that inherently involves a lot more of investment than dating apps usually run on in terms of the before meeting kind of scenario. Uh, while they're discussing this, because Nora's very much on board, down in the Diamond Dogs meeting, Nate has downloaded banter. Everyone's getting on board. Probably because Keeley's encouraging them all to do so. He probably deleted it immediately, though, because in his words, he's very choosy, but unfortunately, so are women.
0: Oh, wasn't that, wasn't that a tough one to hear? And they're pretty picky, too. Yeah,
1: it, it's, a, it's Spencer, a rough line.
0: Mm-hmm. Question for you. Who's in the office?
1: uh right now it's we've got beard we've got higgins we got the whole diamond dogs that are right there Wahoo! motherfucker didn't know what you were doing there <laughs> uh yeah the diamond dogs have reconvened um yeah i felt bad for nate here because we've seen before too, the man yeah. the man says this but this is entirely coming from a place of lack of confidence that man was chatting up to that bartender and doing well in the process he's Hello, capable of doing this nate He just needs apparently a bit of uh, alcohol courage maybe to make it happen Uh, Ted offers that he's also not looking for anyone right now, but he kind of does this winking at the audience thing of wouldn't it be neat of if I got on that program and I just happened to meet my soulmate, wink, wink, nudge, nudge, future plot direction, maybe? Yeah. It's possible that's the direction he's kind of going in. We'll see. Uh, So you
0: seem to think, your theory here is that Ted is going to get on banter.
1: I I think him offering that kind of wouldn't it be funny if just feels like a telegraphed this is going to happen now kind of thing. What do you think?
0: Yeah, it could be. Um, yeah, I, I, Ted will end up with somebody by the end of the third season. I don't know if it's through banter or not, but I do think they're, they're winking to the idea to the audience that they will eventually deal with Ted's romantic storyline. That is coming.
1: Folks. Yeah, having put, having seemingly put a bit of the kibosh in the shipping earlier on with Rebecca spitting up a biscuit at the idea of it, this is them <laughs> at least th- throwing throwing a bit of a life server to the shippers out there saying, don't worry, don't worry, don't worry, we will be going into it.
0: Not now. I've still got my Ted Rebecca stock. It's it's taken a hit recently.
1: I'm down like 25%, but I still got the stock. This <laughs> is reaching the levels of your Dogecoin investment. We'll see if it still holds strong later. Uh, while this is happening, <laughs> um, Jamie walks in and, well, Higgins gets a call and the Diamond Dogs adjourn with a few little bits of yips and barking, which he has to explain Ooh. to his wife as he walks away. Uh, Hold on. Col- One
0: thing though. One thing when the Diamond Dogs are still in there. Um, oh, right.
1: I skipped it. Sorry. I, I will do it. I skipped this line in my notes. Um, they, Ted asked Beard, uh, are you getting, are, are, are you also, you know, getting on this whole banter thing? To which he says, "No, him and Jane are practicing digital intimacy, which I'd never heard that term before. Is that you're familiar with this concept?" Yes. Okay. New one on me. Uh, which Jane apparently, pra- which Jane apparently well, very much believes in. Uh,
0: how are they sharing digital intimacy?
1: Uh, they've linked to iCloud accounts.
0: iCloud accounts. There it is. Another one. Advertiser. I'm gonna point it out every time.
1: We've got to. It's required. With the, with the very much corporate advertising folks in this episode, we've got to at least mention a few Apple uh, Apple a few times when they're obviously doing it here, too. Yeah. Uh, apparently, Jade has some very serious views on the subject. Is willing to engage in physical violence to anything that could be perceived as an indiscretion. I think we're supposed to laugh at this, but this is also in the category of things that just make me uncomfortable, so... Yeah. Yep. So there that is. Higgins gets his call. He walks away. The Diamond Dogs yip farewell. Ted calls in Jamie. Jamie brings up the, as we discussed, absolutely wonderful idea of buying PS fives for the whole team to try to get them to love him. Ted proposes this idea. I'm like, no, that'd probably be a good start. I think they actually be down with this. I think it'd be a good gesture. Good idea. Yes, agreed. Is in uh, Jamie's words, "What better thing to spend money on than love?" That's yeah. got a le- that's got legs as a kind of line, even if Ted. Expresses the idea that buying affection might not go over well. It will go over well with some of them. Sam would just roll his damn eyes. He sure does thread that needle sometimes, doesn't he? Absolutely. Ted decides that they've kind of reached the Godzilla threshold. They've reached their last resort, though definitely not to the point of calling Dr. Shannon. And so, to Beard's abject horror, he summons Led Tasso.
0: Break glass in case of emergency inside. Only only if you absolutely need him is Mr. Led Tasso. The Hulk is hulked up. It's ready to go. He's, he's ripped out of his shirt. The man is is all bulgy and muscly and green. And let's do this, Led Tasso. This has
1: got to be the most horrified we've ever seen Beard. I mean, he's so completely caught off guard and uncomfortable with his plan. He can't even explain it to Nate. He just kind of runs out after Tip rapidly transforming del- into lead as we speak. While that's happening, Higgins is back up in the office discussing team finances with Nora, who very quickly understands that the situation they're presently in is in no way sustainable. They are no longer playing at the premier level, but they still have premier level contracts. They can't afford to continue to pay the current player salaries under their current financial workout. They gotta I know find absolutely some other way-
0: nothing about how this world works at all. Nothing. It just would seem to me... That you would build into their contracts that if the team went through relegation, they would have some sort of pay decrease. It would seem that that would be a normal thing to do. I
1: think they usually do. I think they either just didn't, or it's still causing other problems. They probably lost sponsors as a result of this, too. There's a lot of financial issues that have gone into relegation that they're now bringing up to the audience. Higgins offers this at the very appropriate moment that Sam arrives. As we expressed, Nora is clearly smitten, whether that be romantic or not, with Sam. Yep, Uh, who also reveals in response to recognizing Nora, or at least knowing her by name, that he's gotten quite fond of Frozen in the meantime, because it is a beautiful metaphor for many of life's journeys, especially puberty. Thank you, Sam. We appreciate your wisdom. Nora was just completely, uh, just absolutely embarrassed by... Uh, Absolutely, 100%. Sam drops the bomb that he wants to pull out of his campaign for Dubai air. Higgins and Keeley are apoplectic about this, completely caught off guard. But Sam reveals that his grounds are a principled stance that he can no longer even tangentially support Cerinthium in their damage that they've done to the Nigerian Delta and their abject they're just continually piled on corruption with the Nigerian government. The Sam is too good for the sinful earth music starts to play. I love Sam's refrain there always plays when Sam's being beatific. And Nora just continues to be in further awe of him and Rebecca says that she's got Sam's back. Sam leaves. Higgins, immediately as is his job, focuses on the cold calculus of it. They are our sponsor. They are our main sponsor. And if we're going to do this, we've got to mollify them now. Because that would be disastrous if if, if, if we actually lose them in any way. Beck apparently knows the CEO of the oil company by name, because he was a friend of Rupert's, and agrees to call him to see whether he still finds her charming. While that's happening, Led Tasso mirror universe ted arrives on the pitch listen up you little turd birds if you've not stretched 15
0: minutes earlier 45 minutes late touch toes those your feet fingers fellas come on
1: dummies touch each other's toes is this just jason sudeikis just improv for like five minutes is this just what this is
0: maybe (laughs) the actors look
1: legitimately confused as he's going through this you know touch toes touch each other's toes
0: it's pretty nuts i I, I don't know I, I could see how i actually wondered this uh about this segment um interested to hear your thoughts you know we've talked in the past about how you like the dramedy aspects right you you enjoy the drama parts of it you love the parts that are maybe a little bit more realistic the absurd stuff doesn't necessarily hit for you although you do like the comedy the abject absurd stuff does it kind of takes you out of it did this fall in that bucket of absurd where you were like you could have done without it
1: not as bad as the cartoon. Not as bad as the actual strip cartoon. Well, that movie. is
0: like... Yeah, that's our North Pole for the absurd part of the show, right? That Can, is the yeah. worst of the worst. I agree with
1: that. This was in a category... We've said this a few times. This was in a category that would normally put me off. This came across as more of like an SNL skit, as something like something like Michael Scott would do on, like, The Office kind of thing. That is Rather a very than,
0: good call. Yeah. Prison Mike. Th- th-
1: this is... Oh, God. Prison Mike. I forgot about that. Yes, this is prison <laughs> fucking Mike. This is awkward. This is intentionally awkward. This is very office kind of humor. It's not my bailiwick, but Jason Sudeikis is just so charming and the lines he's saying are so funny that even though I don't particularly like the scene, it still makes me laugh.
0: And there's a very transparent reason this is going on with the plot, right? It's not just silliness it. for silliness. Yeah, it, it, there's something that it, that he's doing here strategically. So yeah, okay. All right. Just interested
1: <laughs> in that. He also dunks on Tim Burton's art style. And I'm fully down with that shit too. So
0: yeah. Don't, like, look, no, no disrespect with Tim Burton. I just don't want to see any of your films ever again.
1: I, I've seen them all. I have no exactly yeah. what your film's Ooh. going to be. If you're even, I'm if done. those trees are even appearing in Dumbo, dear God, somebody's got to pay Johnny Depp's wine bill. Thank you, Tim Burton. <laughs> uh, Rebecca calls Richard on the phone. Uh, we rapidly deduce that he is a dirty old man, as we would expect from one of Rupert's friends. Ooh, what a sleaze! Good, absolute God. sleaze. She knows what he is. He is what he is. He's not meaning it. It's one of those weird things. He's an abject sleaze, but he's—it's just the way he is. So you know what you know what you, you know what you have going in.
0: Yeah, but my problem with this, and I know I know I'm cutting you off a lot. I'll I'll, I'll back no, up. No, you're off fine. This. You're fine. This just bugs me because it when you're dealing with a woman like Rebecca. Mm-hmm. No problem. She can help hold her own. She'll even banter back. I don't think she feels threatened at all. But you know this son bitch does this with everybody in his life. Yeah. That's what that, bugs me.
1: That's the thing. If this is just friends talking, which they aren't, it'd be fine. But it isn't. He's just a sleaze asshole. who uses it's his position as a is. CEO as a... Can you imagine working for this fucking guy? Anyway, he, re- he seems awful. He seems awful. And we're meant to believe he's awful. And we're going to continue to believe he's awful. That's Faux what sure. we need to know about this man. The show is framing it very quickly. Rebecca's used to it. It's one of Rupert's friends. She's probably put up with this for years. It's the dynamic they have. And if anything, she's trying to work it because it's the dynamic that they have. Um, She cuts right to the case that uh, Sam needs to back out. Sorry, wanted to warn you in advance. Want to see how we can work with it. Richard, at first, seems, Rebecca, of course, we're old buddies. What do friends do? Just have to ask for a small quid pro quo. Yeah. Drop the bastard. Rebecca clearly is caught off guard by that. She did not see that kind of response coming. Richard, on the other hand, just treats it as just, this is business as usual and just wishes her well and hangs up the phone. Back on the pitch, we get the funny line from, t- uh, sorry, Led. Richard, I haven't seen a pass that soft since my high school drama teacher asked me to mow his lawn. That one took me a couple times to understand what he said there. That was funny. Uh, Ted, is anyone on this pitch
0: interested not sucking at soccer <laughs> love it he says soccer
1: he does it, a lot of the lines he throws out just get increasingly weird like beforehand, the just extended little rant he did on the subject of developing a relationship building the marriage with a soccer ball eventually just leading to an excuse to make them it's like he's just building to an excuse to someone to question what the hell he's saying so he can make them run laps this is it's very so you should do this at your next
0: staff meeting just like as if people are talking just
1: smash the table
0: Is anybody in here interested not sucking at their job?
1: No. Thank you for that advice. Appreciate this mid-management level advice from Lee. Let's add this to life lessons with Lee at the end of the episode.
0: Room of 20 people. One guy breaks out giggling because he's seen Ted Lasso.
1: (laughs) It's like, yes. Very much much that moment of when uh, Ted came charging back in when um, Higgins said, Caesar, you later. It's like, yes. That would be the reaction right there. Uh, This guy knows what I'm talking about. Ted just continues to browbeat the team until Jamie cuts to the chase and reveals what Ted is obviously doing, confronting him on this just blatant Jekyll and Hyde routine. Yep. This is the moment Ted's been waiting for. This is the moment he wants the team to end and focus on right now. Because he immediately ends the practice, throws a fit, blames Jamie for it, and throws them all out. Notably... Jamie just blew (laughs) blew y'all's chance to get better. (laughs) Notably, and they get in. They mock this method but it's Ted. It does work. Yep. Everybody but Sam, it seems, goes, thanks, Jamie. Kind of gives him the little respectful thank you for taking that heat for us kind of moment. It works. It's utterly farcical, but it's Ted. It's always going to work to at least some degree. Sam notably continues to give Jamie the cold shoulder. Walks past him. Uh, It's a very funny moment of when Ted, Led, is still stomping stomping it's like he's physically collapsed into himself even in just like his presence back towards the locker room still mumbling under his breath Beard grabs him by the shoulders and just kind of shakes him and it's like he successfully exercised lead as Ted comes back and says how long was I out it doesn't matter you're back now funny moment as if this is so foreign to Ted he actually has to adopt an alter ego that controls his body while it's happening Shannon, who can't stay shut up about this, immediately breaks down the plan is obviously you make yourself as is an asshole. Is that Shannon? Uh, sorry, not Shannon. Uh, Dr. Fieldstone. There you go. Sharon. Sharon. Yes. Sorry. Um, make, make yourself the asshole so that uh, you give the team a common enemy rather than Jamie. That is exactly the plan. She summarized it perfectly. 100%. Not clear that it's ever necessarily worked in the past. Beard and Ted are the first ones to admit this. Well, I I one-time honestly... one at Chuck E. Cheese. Uh, sorry, Charles Edgar Chesterton the Third. get it right, we're in the UK. Very fair. Uh, it almost seems like they just have more fun doing this than they consciously are aware that it works or not. They enjoy their games. While this is happening, Rebecca and Nora discuss the options that they have available. There's clearly no good solution. It's either fire Sam, which they're not going to do, or tell their main sponsor to get stuffed, which they also probably shouldn't or can't do. So what do they do? Nora offers her point of view that sometimes you have to do the right thing even if you lose. Well, that's
0: because one time she got caught chewing gum in the bathroom. All right, it's cigarettes, but
1: I don't want to lecture (laughs) and it it is a, this is a classic example of the right thing to say, the correct philosophy to adopt. Now you got to implement it. And I feel like Rebecca skips a hell of a lot of implementation here by not immediately calling her legal department. This is the moment of where you need to personally handle this. You are the personal connection. That's the way that should play out. But the fact you don't have your lawyer on speed dial, the moment you start doing things that could possibly hazard your contract with your lead sponsor is a, very much a dereliction of duty on her part. Well, it gets worse over the course of the episode. We'll get there. But I fundamentally agree with the philosophy. I think it's just, once you decide to do the right thing, you then need to be aware of what the costs of that are and take steps to avoid them or at least direct them. I also think you
0: you absolutely should have your... Anytime you're talking about impacting contracts of sponsors, your players, any, any employment contract, any... Any contract, period. You should have yeah. your, your lawyers or your contract department weigh in. I also think that you should have your money man weigh in, right? You should go, yeah. okay, Worst. let's play out worst case scenario. Absolutely. You don't fire Sam. Dubai Air pulls out. What's our plan B? How do, how do we make this work financially? It seems like Rebecca's not taking those sort of mental steps uh, before she takes this uh, this this sort of drastic position.
1: Well, she's shooting from the hip, and she's got a hype man that's with it. That's the only person she's talking to. And you need somebody. She's 14, to- You you need somebody to be the wet blanket. Somebody to offer, like Higgins, the cold calculus of, okay, let's process what the costs are. We've decided to do this. Now let's decide what the best way to go about that is. We don't get to see that as much, and I think it hurts them in the long run for the decisions other characters make in this episode.
0: Agree, and I will say that in Nora's explanation, she talks about how you know she's smoking in the bathroom with her friend, and they got caught. Now, in her explanation, she says that we got caught And I was in the loo at the time, but I came out to basically Mm -hmm. stand with her friend and they both got in in trouble. She could have easily stayed in the loo and not gotten in trouble. This got me to the point of how they refer to the bathroom over across the pond. So it seems to me that bathroom equals toilet, right? When you're talking about the entire room, they say, I'm going to go to toilet, right? But if you're in an individual stall or on an actual, you know, like toilet seat, then they would call that the loo. So here's what I've pieced out. Tell me if I'm wrong. Bathroom okay. equals
1: toilet. Toilet equals loo. I've never thought about this before until you just tried to crystallize it there before me. You may very much be right. I've just never pondered that before. Okay. All right. Well, I was just trying to work it out. You've rewritten the philosophy of my life, sir. Congratulations. Uh, <laughs> down in Keeley's office, Jamie walks in to find her scrambling. This is kind of that moment of where Keely is a very good marketing director, but she did commit a fundamental misstep, as you noted kind of before in discussing what Sam's dad would react, in not really vetting and discussing the full scope of this with Sam before. This was a landmine that eventually was going to come up, and Keeley was not prepared for it. Keeley That's all
0: should her. not have that responsibility. If she's the director of marketing, she should have researchers and interns under her that do this type of thing. If you're, expecting, Keely. If you're expecting Keeley to connect these dots to large-scale geopolitical issues that might have some sort of emotional you know, resonance with their players, you're going to fail. That is not a Keeley job. She's never going to do it. You've got to have somebody else with her
1: someone in her department should have done this. Can we agree on that point?
0: hundred percent agree.
1: Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. But she just, I, I just, with the character that we've been presented, it's yeah. sort
0: of farcical to think she would ever even think through
1: this lens. Now from Kiwi's perspective, she landed a great client. She got Sam a great opportunity. It's going to give him a lot of revenue, everything else. She did good. That's her focus. And she did that very well. She just didn't ponder the full legs of the situation.
0: Yep. Legs. Ooh. Hey, absolutely. question for you. Um, Keely has a life-size fat head on her wall of Roy two questions for you one did you know what a fat head was and two what do you think about having a life-size fat head on your wall of your partner staring at you as you do your work every day
1: did not know question, what it was question in two parts did not know what it was incredibly uncomfortable with the concept yeah uh, yep that that's what I thought um and I would be pretty weirded out by that too uh Jamie walks in I said uh and he's struggling with trying to convince the team that he's cool now, as you said earlier. Wonderful quote by Jamie. Uh, Keeley, having absolutely no time for this, starts to walk him slowly somewhere else. While in the course of this conversation, we see Jamie, as people often do when they mean well, but start to feel like they're being attacked, regress. Of where he starts yes. to go into the self-absorbed Jamie, well, if they hate me, it's clearly on them kind of shit. It's
0: not my fault, I'm special.
1: This is early season one, Jamie, we haven't seen in a while, and it's sad to see it, but it is, as we talked about, natural human impulses that you want to attack, but are what people do. If someone gets immediately attacked when they're trying to do good, they have a tendency to immediately regress back to the reason that they got attacked in the first place. It's a natural human impulse. Mm -hmm. She leads him to the one person that could really help him with this, who's not Keely, who doesn't have the time for it right now, Dr. Sharon!
0: I thought it was so funny that she just is like, walk with me. And she just sits him right down in the chair.
1: Basically (laughs) like... We, we pay someone to deal with this now. I am not going to do it. Julie really said, this is someone who actually gets paid to listen to you complain. Uh, sits him down. Jamie introduced the idea of, I'm just supposed to kind of blather on about myself to you? Like, yep, that that's kind of how this works. Jamie's down with this concept. This is something Jamie's been looking for and didn't know existed. That and is late- such
0: a funny, funny little thing that like, he's like, wait a second. I can just, he's so self-absorbed. That therapy seems awesome to him. And then like, you know, I'm a big proponent of therapy. As I have talked about multiple times on this podcast, I will continue to say that I think it's a great tool that everybody should take advantage of. It's just funny how different people come to it, right? How some people come to it like, I really need help or I really trust it because I've seen it in action in other people or just intellectually, I know it has to be a thing because it's so successful in the world. Jamie comes to it like, I get to talk about myself for an hour? Bang on, let's do this.
1: You're just going to listen. I get to, I just say whatever comes to my head. This is everything I hoped for. <laughs> such a funny idea. It also is something that I think we've been agree would actually really help Jamie for a lot of the issues he goes through. And maybe it will. I, I'm i not led to believe that the events we see with Jamie later are a direct product of this. It just seems like the natural progression Jamie's been going on. But I think long term, this is something that actually really helped Jamie.
0: Well, Doc is batting a high percentage with the group. So we'll see how she
1: does with Jamie. We'll see. Uh... Meanwhile, well, not meanwhile, Probably at the. I think it's in the evenings. The two of them are in their PJs on Rebecca's bed. Rebecca and Nora are together, collectively, composing a message to Richard, informing him with, I would say, varying degrees of politeness of their decision, with the mutually agreed-upon, lo- in-signature line of boss-ass bitch, which I think is the girl power kind of tagline for a lot of this episode and some of the decisions that Rebecca makes. Uh, if I hadn't done it earlier... When I was composing this message, this definitely would have been the moment I get the legal department involved. It said probably not having them send the message that's unnecessarily escalating things, but getting them to vet and discuss moneymakers too, what could happen of me saying this? Instead, she's in alone she's in a room with just a 14 year- old composing it in their PJs. Not the kind of way you'd want the seemingly owner of a very large of a large corporation that employs lots of people doing this bought the way i'm sure a lot of them go about doing it so whatever you can say question
0: for you counsel should i yes. end my note to the ceo of cerithium oil
1: sincerely boss ass bitch uh well uh mr waterfield have you ever used that phrase before when communicating with them no uh, is it a, in any way a pet phrase that they would immediately respond to and recognize well and be a sense of humor and closeness between you to otherwise mollify the nature of the rest of the email
0: no, i I only want to do it because my fourteen year old goddaughter told me it was a cool idea. Okay.
1: I want you to repeat that sentence back to yourself <laughs> out loud. Maybe even write it down and then assess it for decide? yourself. Yes. <laughs> That's funny. Uh I've actually had that given that advice to people before, is just repeat what you just said to yourself alone. Then get back to me. It's just like, you know what you're oh, why are you okay. asking me you know? Maybe that wasn't a good idea. Yeah. I understand where she's coming from. It's an empowering moment. She's doing the right thing, just maybe not the best way. Uh, Soccer Saturday. Love every episode Woo! of Soccer, Soccer Saturday that we see. We actually get the names of the characters now, which I didn't note before. We have Jeff Stelling. Yep, yeah, please go on.
0: Host Jeff Stelling. Mr. Ooh. Unbelievable Chris Kamara. Journey to a real coach. person. Journeyman coach George catrick who was actually the coach of AFC Richmond before uh your girl, Rebecca, summarily dismissed him for being A, terrible at his job, B not a person she likes, and C having testicles that are just way too visible, and mm-hmm. four, my guy.
1: That's right, Roy. Does Roy have a personal grudge against Jeff, or does he have just no other way of expressing himself? Because good God does he stare daggers at Jeff when he introduces him. <laughs>
0: I honestly think that he has watched enough of these idiots do this job when he wasn't on set that he he hates them all. That's why he didn't want to do it. He had no respect yeah. for any of them. He crushes it when he's there, but he's probably heard them just talking of nonsense in the past, even maybe about himself. That he has he just wants to wipe the floor with it when he's there, and I am here for it and i talk about the episode within the episode all the time what could mm-hmm. the show do what other timeline could they show me that would also be entertaining that i would watch for 30 to 40 minutes every week and this is number 1 with a bullet give me soccer saturday every fucking week oh, i yeah, love man. the dynamic i get a crack i get a kick out of it um, I hope that we see more and more scenes from this particular set and Roy's interaction with great. these guys. I think it's fucking great.
1: I mean, if you want to do a great web, a web episode thing, this just so perfectly lends itself to just be a separate thing that you also release. Even if you like want to do their own like discussions after the show kind of thing, if they did it in this format, it would be hilarious. How great would it be if they just it, it did like a web short of
0: them actually doing reviews of upcoming real soccer matches?
1: Oh, that'd be wonderful. That'd be hilarious.
0: Ah, so good. But I I am also impressed with the writing of the show, right? Because they obviously set up Roy to retire at the end of the season. He, um, it doesn't make a lot of sense that he would go and just hang on in the locker room, kind of like yeah. one of those like hanger on losers. He would never going to do that. So a way to continue to keep him in the show, leverage the benefits of the character and the actor, which are both great, is they have this set. And so now every time AFC Richmond is going to have a show or going to have a game, bang, you get you get five to ten minutes of a Roy thing. I think it's just brilliant.
1: It's genius. Uh, it lends itself perfectly to the first t- uh, topic of conversation: the return of Jamie Tart to Richmond. Do you have the quote from Roy as to on the subject? Otherwise, I yeah. can offer it. Please, in Roy voice.
0: Jamie Tart's a muppet. I hope
1: he dies of in the incurable condition of being a little bitch. <laughs> I love that line I love what it continues to too, Where uh, Kartrick, The former manager Like Oh say what you really think Roy? All Right Alright You were a shit manager too <laughs> Not me you
0: twat I <laughs> love Jeff. the back and forth Just Just nice casual banter Among friends
1: Well Chris loves it Jeff meanwhile Is just watching the Their fine numbers Just continue to go up It's like Language Language please. I'm yeah. trying to He's got to that Howard cats.
0: Stern From the 90s ticker Of the fines Just Just wrote Like the national debt clock Just firing up every day Oh
1: god how can they afford this show? Uh, at the game, Becca receives an email from Richard which appears to indicate that while he's not happy with it, his one-word fine indicates he's at least tolerating her decision. That could well very well be a victory. Yeah. At the very least, for right now, both Rebecca and Nora celebrate this news. While Rebecca immediately then goes back to exploring banter because apparently she is into it now because as she said... I'm going to insult something and then try it because I'm a good friend, as friends do. Keely's very excited about this.
0: Can I just point out that your your crush, the apple of your eye, Rebecca, has a bomb coat in the scene. Her coat okay. is awesome. 11 out of 10.
1: Girl there knows how to dress.
0: Man, I love that coat. That, that coat was re- And it, like... It's a a really nice coat. I'm not saying anyone else there is dressed poorly, but she is just elevated in the scene. It kind
1: of pops off for me, for real. I liked it. It may may be a bit of a statement of how much this is a new program or how much it's not really gotten much of an audience base yet, but did you notice the addresses of the people that were on the little banter list that she first pulled up?
0: No, no. Oh, fuck, I wish I'd noticed that. Uh,
1: The the list of people, one of them, the closest one was one kilometer away. Some of them were in France. That's how close they were.
0: Because there's like 12 people on the thing. Yeah, Yeah, okay.
1: Like Like, The the top three are like eight kilometers away. One's like one kilometer away. A couple were in France. It's limited selection to be found so far, but it's getting its legs. Uh, While this is happening, Sassy arrives because... Sassy Smurf! In her words, she wouldn't miss 22 fit, sweaty men running around chasing one another. Who would? Down in the locker room, though, a momentous moment occurs. A very momentous moment. As Sam seemingly, to continue the word moment, spur of the moment, decides with the angelic Sam music playing in the background, he realizes that he can't advertise for Dubai Air anymore and the indirect contributions they make to the hellish, fiery swamp that has been made of southern Nigeria. As a result, he pulls out the gaffer tape, the duct tape, if you will, and covers up the Dubai Air logo on his shirt. Isaac and Bumpercatch immediately join him in solidarity, and I feel like we finally got Bumpercatch's name for exactly this reason and scene. Uh, and the rest of the team, however, don't appear to be so inclined. Nor does Sam pressure them to do so. That we, the Nigerians, which had caught me off guard because I'd never really thought of Isaac as Nigerian. He seems very. Me neither. I didn't
0: know the other guys were Nigerian until this scene.
1: Bumpercatch, maybe we didn't know anything about it at all. Isaac, that seems like maybe of Nigerian origin. This guy seems like he's born, raised UK. But who could say? Uh, then this is something that we need to do. The rest of the team doesn't seem too inclined or invest in this idea, or at least seems caught off guard about it because this is the first Sam has ever mentioned about it at all. Until, in a very important moment, Jamie stands up and asks for the tape himself.
0: So during this scene, when they have the inspirational Sam music and he's explaining, hey, guys, I don't expect you to do this, but I hope you understand why we as Nigerians have to do it. Pause, beat, pause, beat. In my home, there was do it, Jamie, do it, do it, Jamie, do it. I was like screaming at the the screen. This is a perfect opportunity for him. And Jamie, you know, clusterfuck that he is socially does see the opportunity, stands up and does the right thing, does the right thing.
1: This is Jamie actually revealing to them finally in a way that they can believe. Because he's actually putting himself out there and costing yep, something. that sure. he's a better person. The good guy that was always hidden under the layers of bullshit in Jamie is starting to shine through and they're recognizing it. That he's willing to go to the wall for his teammates in a way that they never would have thought he'd be willing to do before. And I love his ex- is is in his in explanation for it, too. Is that we're a team, ain't we? Gotta wear the same kit. I love that explanation description. It's beautiful. They each give each other, finally, for the first time in this episode, Sam gives Jamie the respectful nod and he returns it. Uh, The respectful guy
0: nod, which I translate as I'm emotionally, I'm really emotionally affected by what you just did and appreciate it immensely, but I can't say so. So here's a head nod.
1: Yeah, due to societal expectations, I can only express a certain level of emotion, so I'm going to convey this shining ray into my emotional, this brief ray into my emotional soul. They duct tape themselves up uh, and. They head well, out. we
0: only know that Jamie does,
1: right? We only know at this point. There's a reveal, yeah. It's a key reveal to both not only us, but to the audience that's watching there at home, that because they're all wearing hoodies as they walk, walk out of the pitch, it's not apparent at first who's done this or what they've done. The announcers, meanwhile, are debating mostly on the subject of Jamie's return and, you know, whether the fickle fan base will actually embrace him back. Uh, Lee, how does the fan base in the pub respond to Jamie Tart returning to the team?
0: Jamie,
1: i'm gonna give you that one because it's earned it, it was great it's a hilarious scene see i just absolutely overjoyed all these people are
0: oh my god are the beers sloshy or they're just May partying behind <laughs> them because there's all this like stress around within you know because we see the team's perspective right and Ted's perspective There's all this stress around bringing it back. I love that they just give you the brief shot of what everyone else associated with AFC Richmond. We've is got thinking. an ace just, back. God, we got another ace. Yes, let's do this.
1: Yeah, it's one of the moments where the fan base can often just kind of cuts through the emo- cuts through the crap, just like no, 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 this is better and we love it. Um, while that's happening, them being over the moon. The team takes off their hoodies, and the crowd is reduced to silence. The journalists' cluster pictures are taken as everyone realizes that a whole team is now protesting their lead sponsor, Dubai Air. The announcers rapidly deduce what is happening. They're in shock about this, and this is very much one of the moments of where I'm a fan of Two, of two, of two Minds. Regular Spencer Love the Show fan is like, what a powerful moment. What a powerful statement. This show is going you know, to energize the Kaepernick route of what would have happened if this played out now, today, with a team and a fan base and an organization that supports him. How could that play out? The lawyer Spencer and me is screaming at the screen, Holy liquidated damages clause, Batman! Oh God! This is hazarding brand! This is an obvious breach of the sponsorship contract! This probably has mandatory damages that are now going to be imposed. Oh, dear God, this wasn't vetted with anyone before this happened. What were your
0: thoughts? Yeah, and my thought immediately was for the money, obviously, um, because I think Rebecca has money. Yeah. But I do not think she's got the kind of money where she... She doesn't have Steve Ballmer running, right? She can't Steve step Ballmer into owns Like uh, Steve Ballmer is like a hundred billionaire. Like if all the sponsors pulled out from the Los Angeles Clippers, he could be like, okay, fine. I'll just run it myself. Like back in the day when... And I'm not saying this was the right move, but it did happen. When the Masters, when people, advertisers started complaining that the Augusta National wouldn't let women into their country club and announcers started pulling out, Augusta did this move. They said, okay... We won't run any advertisements during the Masters this year. We'll just pay for it out of pocket. I don't think Rebecca has that kind of money. So that's the hat that I was putting on there of like, oh, shit. Like, they may not make payroll in three episodes.
1: Oh, yeah. They are inevitably going to lose their largest sponsor now. And even just beyond simply losing their sponsor. And it'd be curious to see, this This is the kind of thing of where we'll see how this plays out. This is very much a real-world analysis of whether, does this kind of moment that the public's going to eat up, well, maybe, maybe, certain aspects of the public will eat up, But large corporations in particular will either try to use this as competitors or actually treat you as kryptonite for fear of what the the, the players could do going forward without vetting it with their ownership base. Hard to say. Even beyond simply losing sponsors, though, I am willing to almost guarantee you that any kind of large sponsorship deal contract would include a provision of you and your organization and your players agree to not engage in acts or deeds that would hazard in any way harm the brand of the sponsoring company. This would obviously be in violation of that clause and almost inevitably because pricing what the actual damages on that would be is almost impossible. It would include a liquidated damages clause that say, if you breach this or in general, you owe us $10 million or some shit.
0: Yeah, there is actually a clause in sports contracts um, called that. I can't remember the, the, the name of the clause, but there's a specific like name that's known in the industry of the type of clause. And, and in essence, is exactly what you're saying, which is yeah. you have a responsibility to be a good steward of this brand. And if yeah. you don't, that and it's very, like, nebulous, right? And if
1: you don't, and we don't think you do, then we'll go after you in some way. And you have to prove that you didn't. And I'll be curious to see whether that happens. Because it's a difficult thing for a company when that happens, of where you've already been run through the shit, and now if you do this, they're going to look even more like shit. But at the same time, they just hurt your brand all to goddamn hell in a way you probably can't recover from for years. We'll see what the repercussions of this are. As Higgins so euphemistically expresses, this might be an issue putting it mildly. Rebecca's phone starts blowing up all to hell because Richard's calling her, and in what is a very much boss-ass bitch moment, she turns to the 14-year-old Nora and calmly hits decline. I reassure you that will not be the only way (laughs) she will not be able to avoid this conversation for long. But at least right now, it's a triumphal moment for them. We skip the game absolutely entirely, which caught me off guard. And well, we cut to the pre- press conference afterwards. Ted reveals that he did not know that the team was going to do this. The, notably, the uh, room is more full of journalists than it has been all season previously, but best as I can tell. Yep. And, however, he finds that what Sam and the team did, courageous, because he's never needed to have that kind of courage, because when bad things happen to people like him, referencing his skin color, I presume... Y'all have a tendency to write about it without even being asked. Sure, yes. The person that he represents is the straight white male in a Western society. Um, Sam had to go and get y'all's attention. Therefore, he passes the ball to Sam and tells the journalist, if you want to know about what happened, how about you ask Sam about it? Trent immediately goes first and tries to start with a very football-centered question of, so your team lost. What? 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 They were heavily favored. They still haven't won a game in this lower league, in the Champions League. Oh, no. I I feel like the episode treats this a lot lighter than it maybe should be, that, oh, dear God, they may get relegated again if this shit keeps happening. I've got a theory about why. We'll get get there then. Um, Sam deflects that question. Trent's basically asking, your team lost after this long losing streak. You were heavily favored to win. Do you think your impromptu protest broke their rhythm for the game? It's a question the journalist is going to ask a player when they do this, right? Yeah, That's it's very question. much the first question they would ask. Sam deflects it completely. He's not here to talk about football. He is here to talk about his cause, his country, what's happening to it, and directly, with some prompting from Trent, because Trent's now in this and ready to write an article about this shit, accuses the Nigerian government of corporate corruption.
0: Sam? Are you openly accusing the Nigerian government of corruption? Beat, beat, Sam. Yes I am. Oh shit, is what I wrote in my notes. This is the Enos uh, Cantor situation. You know the Enos Cantor situation, Spencer? Yeah. Yeah, he can't go back to his home country of Turkey. He's a wanted man there. He has to he's basically an asylum seeker in the United it States, even though he plays professional basketball. Lot. Sam will probably be in the same boat. That has caused many, many like just geopolitical logistical headaches for the 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 nba teams that have had enos canter so they might gloss over it who knows it's a 30-minute sitcom increasingly a 40-minute sitcom but yeah but in real life this would have had huge implications on sam he probably never would have been able to go back and visit his his parents um and he uh it would have been a lot that
1: the club would have had to deal with depending on the country it could have a lot of implications for his parents for his family, that's in Nigeria, they could face a lot of harassment or even prosecution as a result of some of the actions that Sam's engaged in. Right
0: Unless now. they denounce him, right? And that's what the, that's what the pressure would be is to denounce
1: him. They, they have to denounce him or they leave because uh, things could be very unpleasant for them going forward if the Nigerian government tries to make and decides to make an issue of this. I don't oh, sure. think Sam has really thought that through yet. Sam is very much the naive, well-meaning, innocent, and inspirational angel of this show. That's why he's been framed to be. He doesn't necessarily think about two, three steps ahead and what the repercussions of his actions could be. Like you said, I'll be really curious to see to what degree this show goes into the realism exploring what's the fallout from this kind of very public action, very public statement, not only from sponsors, but as you said, from the Nigerian government itself, because I don't think they're inclined to just take that one sitting down. Nope. They can't. Uh, This plays out, Sam and Ted walk back to the locker room, with Sam more than a little bit worried about whether the team might be upset with him, for maybe some of the reasons that Trent mentioned. Ted reassures him that doing the right thing is never the wrong thing, which, as we've discussed, is an absolute truism that leaves out a few of the details about the legwork that's required to make it work. But fine, that's not what we're focusing on right now. Team, on the other hand, is actually celebrating, which caught me off guard. Because, and again, this is a testament to both either A, what a wonderful locker room this is, or B, how complacent it has gotten, that their streak has been broken and that's something to celebrate. Okay. okay. I think, uh, that, obviously they're not celebrating that, they're celebrating Sam. I that, That's what they tell Sam that they're doing. No one is here right now to go in any way focus on the fact they lost the game, disastrous as that could be. As you said, everyone's here to make this Sam's moment, because Sam did a very brave thing, a very courageous thing, a thing that may have repercussions, but is a thing that we would would and should encourage people to do in the real world for the reason that it would if they did it more often, it might have fewer repercussions. Jamie's the first one that comes forward to tell to offer to the room his own personal compliments for Sam. He does it in, of course, Jamie's style and compliments him on the incredible feat of stealing his thunder. But then continues on to raise him a toast and compliment him on his courage. Sam responds well to this. It seems like they're actually for the first time really knowing each other, building a good relationship as teammates, and maybe even someday friends. It's heartwarming. I will also to say. say
0: that the celebrating that the team is doing—look, um, they did a good thing, right, by backing Sam, and I think it's the right move considering the facts that we know of the case. Although you know, it could be a lot more complicated. But what we know, it seems like it's the right thing to do.
1: I feel like there's a I also think there.
0: I also, th- yeah, there is. Because I also think that there's a little bit of like human nature of wanting to celebrate our own virtue signaling, right? Like when we go on social media and say, I stand with Simone Biles and mental health. Like people feel really good about themselves for saying stuff like that. And like, like putting, like I put my foot down on this moral issue. Therefore, I can celebrate myself. I think there's some of that. And it's not,
1: it, it makes everybody a little bit uncomfortable to acknowledge it. Just want to point mm-hmm. that out. That's a fair, that's a fair point right there. Uh, they're celebrating. They're happy. Rebecca comes up with Nora to ask whether she Sam would be willing to take a picture with her. Sam, of course, great guy that he is, agrees, but he also wants to make it a team moment. So all the team cluster in. They're all happy to participate. This is a wonderful collection of people that we've assembled. Oh, everyone's recognized. Hide your beers. Keely, of course, has to offer the very sage marketing advice that completely changes the tenor and nature of the picture for future use of distribution. Yep. And while Kala My Friend by Amans, I believe it is, it was a Zamrock band from Zambia, starts to play, the credits turn on, the photos appear, and we exit our third episode of season two of Ted Lasso.
0: Woo, there it is. Recap. Season two, episode three, Spencer. This was a doozy of an episode from a plot perspective. I bet you had more notes in this episode maybe than you had in any episode before. Is that true? Easily. Not helped by the fact these episodes just keep getting longer. Yeah, this was a, at least a solid 38, 39 minutes. All right. Great job on the recap. I really appreciate it. Let's go into our segments. We will go first with train wreck of the episode. Who is your train wreck of the episode Ritz, uh, this week, Spencer?
1: I think, it, can I mention a not a, 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 a Richard and his companies? How about that? revelations about the nature of their business the public di- the public shaming they got from their the team that they were sponsoring rebecca's ignoring of him they can bite back in later episodes and i'm sure will but for right now man did they get raked over the coals
0: I offer not. I like that one. Let's let's award it to that one. I am going to offer an honorable mention that will be somewhat controversial. not somewhat controversial, a hundred percent controversial. Our fans may not like it. The one-star reviews are coming, Spencer. Bring, Bring it on. Like, We're going to update the doing, search man. results as soon as I say this. I think, might think award about it the repercussions. To I might award oh. to Sam because he is to me in this episode, and I, you know, it's just my perspective. A very, very well-meaning, good-hearted, great-souled bull in a china China shop, right? He is just knocking shit everywhere. He doesn't know what he's breaking, and he doesn't know what he's doing. He's obviously in a sensitive situation, and he is just kind of bull in a china shop. And he means really well by it, but I I do think that there's maybe 35% train wreck in what he's doing.
1: Which is part of the reason, I again, I don't like the original framing of why he goes on this particular quest, of where it started with his dad rejecting him. And it feels almost like he's on tilt all episode as a result of struggling with that concept. That this isn't necessarily a cause that he was necessarily too passionate before until his beloved father shunned him as a result of not knowing about it. And I don't like that framing rather than it being very much Sam's cause and actually doing the legwork and effort. But again, Sam's how old? He's like early 20s at best. He's, a young he's doing guy the best he can. But a little clumsy is what I would say. He probably would have been smarter if he was like gone. Let let this game go through. Let this game happen, and then tell the team after, tell the team, and tell the organization afterwards that I'm sorry. This is very important to me. It's something I got to do. I know it could have repercussions to the team and the organization, but I got to do this. I just got to let you know about it in advance.
0: Yeah, and let's all work it out in a coordinated manner.
1: Yeah. But then it wouldn't have been as powerful. It wouldn't have been as passionate. It would have been as real for him. He's just wrapped up in the moment, sir. There's nothing you can do about it. And the buddy. episode
0: would have been even longer than it is. And more <laughs> notes for Spencer. All right, there we go. That's our trademark of the episode. Let's go to our Sports Center Top 10, where we point out 10. 10 on the nose, only 10, not 9, not 11. Things that we liked about the episode. I will get started with number Lears. one. Um, our girl Flo mentioned that she was giving a talk, a presentation in Brighton. I know nothing about the United Kingdom, so I looked up Brighton. Brighton is a seaside resort in one of the two main areas of the city of Brighton and Hove, located on the southern coast of England in the county of East Sussex. Check this out, Spencer. It's only 47 miles south of London. So if we go to London once the world opens up again and normal things are happening, we could easily get one of those cars, drive on the wrong side of the road, and hop right on down to Brighton. Where... King George IV spent much time in the town and constructed the Royal Pavilion there, which you can go check out. Arrival of the railways in 1841 helped to become a popular destination for day trippers from London. So there you go. We could take a day trip from London down to the seaside resort of Brighton and have ourselves a ball.
1: Oh, the things that we will do when the world reopens again. Uh, Number one, uh, one of the top ones for me. The fact that they're really framing this of both the organization and the team and the fellow players have Sam's back. Yeah. He, did, he didn't do the legwork. He didn't vet this with an advance. He probably did this in a way that's going to have repercussions. But the fact that they're standing with him with very little prompting because with the reaction of, of course we will because you're our guy, is powerful and it's something that we have, so other examples you've already mentioned, have not seen as much in the real world until much more recent years. So... It's a wonderful moment, it's a wonderful gesture, even if I've got concerns from both legal and non-perspective that there's no way this realistically isn't going to have some fallout. Because of course it would, but the fact they're standing with him means it's something that they can weather.
0: Okay, um, mine is when Ted says, hey, why don't we do what the man says and make today our masterpiece? You called it out, that is a John Wooden quote. Spencer, do you know much about John Wooden?
1: Really don't, I knew the quote and I know, I know that note know was by him, but that's about it.
0: First off, the man lived to be 99 years old, not 199. So shout out to him. But damn, man, it always sucks when people get 99 and don't make triple digits. Always feel bad for him. He was nicknamed the Wizard of Westwood, and he won 10. Count them. Both, both hands, Spencer. Uh, both both hands. Uh, national championships in a 12-year period. He's head coach of the UCLA Bruins. But at least you get too impressed. He did an awful lot of pain in his players back in the day. Um, now fairly legal, uh, but back then it was not. So he, you know, great guy, said a lot of nice things, um, but the word cheater would not be out of place.
1: There we go. Uh, We've already mentioned this before, but I feel like we need to mention it again. Uh, Little girl childhood tea slash figure sandwich shops. Let's go. They seem lovely, but I love how I very much at 14 would have reacted the same way Nora was. I've now progressed to the point of my life that I can look back and say, no, that's awesome. Let's go do that thing.
0: Yeah, that would be dope. I would love to do that. Right before we hop in a car and go down to Brighton. Okay. My next one, lest you all wonder. Spencer covered this very quickly. Uh, Cerithium oil is not a company name. It's not a real company. It's completely made up. A couple little nuggets here, Spencer. I like nuggets. Cerithium is a real marine animal, specifically a snail. So I think what they did is they grabbed a real marine animal that would potentially be affected by the type of oil spill that is being talked about, and they made it the name. Now, let's move on to Dubai Air. Dubai Air, also made up. Not a real thing. Barely. It's pretty close on that one. However, Fly Dubai is. Dubai is is real. Fly Dubai. Fly Dubai is owned by Budget Air. Budget Air. I tried to figure out. Who owns all this stuff to see if eventually we get an oil company, right? If this was actually based in some sort of reality based around Fly Dubai. Fly Dubai owned by Budget Air. Budget Air owned by Travix International BV, which was very recently purchased by Trip.com Group Limited, which is a Chinese company that owns basically Everything. Like 40% of all interna- international air travel, commercial massive air
1: travel in the
0: world, net at com- uh, net revenue of $5.12 annually, total assets of $28.75 a massive, massive travel group. The best I could tell through my extensive Wikipedia research, does not own an oil company, is not owned by an oil company. So it looks like that's all fiction.
1: Uh, final one for me, uh, every appearance of Roy on this show in season two. They're being conservative with them. We only usually get like one or two mentions or appearances each episode, but they're always the highlight. They're always the great moments just because of how wonderful they've done in building up this character and how we know what he's going to say. He so will realize that we know this guy, even though he doesn't exist. But it's beautiful to see it play out of what just the inevitable Royisms are. Yep. Um, that is all fair.
0: I next want to talk about. This is my last one here. The episode opens with a rock song by Canadian recording artist and songwriter Alanis Morissette. Hand in my pocket from her third studio album, Jagged Little Pill. Spencer, did you know Jagged Little Pill was actually her third album? Because it was her first breakthrough album. I think most people think Jagged Little Pill is her first album.
1: That is the only album of hers from that era that I could name. So I was assuming it was her first.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Um, It is. And Hand in my pocket was the released on October 31st, 1995, nearly five months after the album's release. It was the second single from the album. It received generally favorable reviews from music critics, including myself and little known <laughs> fact, Spencer. Um, I've got one hand in my pocket and the other one is given a high five. There you go.
1: Kudos, sir. Uh, I think I that's think, 10. I think with that kind of line, we have to move on to the subject of philosophy So you just kind of offered it right there. Okay, well, this might be, this is a heater.
0: This is throwing throwing 98 on the stun gun here of Ted's Life Lessons of the Week. I've got three. I think they're all extremely strong.
1: I'm number ready, one, man.
0: Number one, point is, Aunt Stinky, sometimes you have to do the right thing, even if you lose. Yeah, it's hard. I think hard. the point there is... You know, sometimes you have to put your foot down and say, I'm going to do this because it's the right thing to do, even though you know that there are serious repercussions for your actions. It is um, a way to not be implicitly selfish, and it's a way to stand up for your friends. Number two, doing the right, a lot of the right thing comments here. Doing the right thing is the wrong thing. So this is framed around what Sam is doing here by basically Mm -hmm. uh, standing up against Dubai Air, one of their primary advertisers. And supporters of AFC Richmond. I will say that Sam's quote, doing the right thing, this is not Mookie throwing the, the chair through the pizzeria window or the, the rock through the pizzeria window. Right? This is not as <laughs> Thank complicated. You Spike Lee. It is not as complicated as that. His right thing is a very clear path for him. So, what I would say here in Ted's life lessons of the week is sometimes the quote, doing the right thing is never the wrong thing you're going to have to chew on what the right thing is for a while because we're all still 25 years later trying to figure out if Mookie did the right thing in breaking the pizzeria window. I think sometimes it's hard to parse out. This is a great example of when you do figure out that road, go for it. Uh, uh, Uncle Lee's just here to tell you that sometimes it's hard to parse that. It's hard to figure it out. And we'll go to number three. This one is all about perspective and empathy, Spencer. Quote from Mm. Ted. No, sir. No, no, no. I think what Sam and the team did today was courageous. I've never needed to have that type of courage, because, well, honestly, when bad things happen to people like me, y'all have a tendency to write about it without being asked. I'm not here to let like Ted's life lessons of the week talk about the privilege of gay or, or white straight men. Um, that is obviously that that is a very apparent. cogent topic, and we could talk about that for ages and ages. It is true; the privilege is there. We all know that, uh, or at least you should know that, and it can be talked about later. That is not what I'm talking about here, though. I would like to focus on empathy and the idea of trying to put yourself in somebody else's shoes. This is a common thing that comes up in Ted Lasso all the time, is can you see things from somebody else's perspective and have an emotional resonance from their perspective? And that's what I think Ted is doing here. Yes, he is commenting on the privilege of straight white males in society, but he is also saying... I am doing my best to take the time to see things from Sam's perspective and explain why he's doing things um, the way he's doing it based on his reality and his truth. So there you go. Ted's life lessons. Go ahead, Spencer.
1: I think he's also talking about just a, a, a kind of first world privilege, too, of where it's, been, it's fun to read some of the comments, comments and boards from uh, Ted Lasso fans. Is a lot of people are now learning about what is the real world state of the Nigerian Delta and how this is really happening by other real life corporations and corruption within the Nigerian government and so having that kind of moment of we live in a wonderful society that runs on um, extreme amounts of wealth extreme amounts of resources and part of the way that happens is by a massive amounts of abuse and neglect and mistreatment of third world countries and harvesting resources to make that happen and it's something we often don't like to talk about because it's deeply unpleasant. And having this show bring that to the forefront and bring up this real life issues for a lot of people's first time realization, it's really important and really powerful and deserves to be credited.
0: Completely agree. There you go. I think that's a good place to put a button on it for this episode. Let's wrap up with final thoughts, Spencer. I'm interested in your rankings. Again, I'm not going to ask you to do one, two, three, four, five of favorite episodes. I am going to ask you, though, to place it, you know, in general percentages. Is this episode top 50%, top 20% of your favorite episodes, or is it somewhere lower?
1: It's really hard to rank this episode in a vacuum. This is such a setup for what's going to be an interesting plot. Its overall ranking is going to depend on how well that plot ultimately works. I'm not a person that really necessarily believes in the idea it's not about the destination, it's about the journey. The destination matters. How well they land this affects how we view everything that came before. Oh, as it, a shot at Game of Thrones. Jesus Christ. I will continue for the rest of my life to offer Oof, those kind of but man, hit me in the gut. If you did it's that what? early
0: on in the episode, we'd have had a whole different tenor to this conversation.
1: <laughs> so, <laughs> as it stands by itself, it's a, I think it's a it's a middling episode because there were some moments of humor that didn't resonate as well with me. There's some plot setups that I didn't think worked as well as they possibly should have but it had a lot of great moments and a lot of great character things. Whether it becomes a more powerful episode than that and goes higher up on the rankings, I will reassess in maybe three four episodes' time if they are willing... My view of this episode will be massively improved if they don't just say, oh, it's a 30-minute sitcom, we're not going to go into the repercussions of these kind of actions. If they actually do real-world repercussions and go through how these characters would respond to them and their coming together would be necessary to make it happen and still keep the tenor of the show in the process that would be magical and powerful and beautiful. And my view of this, my view of this episode would be massively improved. If they just kind of yada yada all that and everything's wrapped up with a bow in an episode or two, I would find that disappointing and it will make this episode lower in my rankings as a result. What, what are your thoughts?
0: I, right now, I'm enjoying season two more than season one. I really am. Um, it's more more per episode. I, I'm here for the I'm here for the pop culture references. That is like so <laughs> I know important you are to me in the I show you and are. they are just crushing it with that. I love the way the plot is moving. It's, the plot is moving faster than it moved in season one. There were episodes of season one where not a lot happened from a plot perspective. As good as those episodes were, we did cover them. So if you have, you know, want to listen to our coverage and what our thoughts of those previous episodes, please do so. But I think that it plots moving faster. They obviously are going toward a season three landing. And I am here for it. I really, really like it. I think they're doing a great job with this season. And I can only imagine that this fan base is going to continue to grow. And I find it really impressive how large the fan base is, considering this is an Apple Plus you know, product. And most people don't even know what the hell Apple Plus is, right? It's a mm-hmm. brand, new, brand new app, brand new commodity out there in the market. So I think that just shows the quality of the show. And I am happy to be reviewing it with you, Spencer. And I am happy for all of the audience who is here listening with
1: us. Last question from me. For wrapping, wrapping up with the episode, I'm curious of your thoughts. I'm, like I'm a journalist interviewing you as Ted Lasso. Fire away. Uh, Hit me with your best shot. You previously had the longest streak of draws in the history of this league. You've ended that streak with a loss. You're a team that just got relegated from the Premier League, clearly with aspirations of rejoining the Premier branch of this sport in the UK. How do you feel about your current chances going forward as we're now reaching about the, I think if I check the number of games right, like the quarter point in the season?
0: Uh, um, I will say, this is a theory that I, I referenced but didn't have a chance to debut, so thank you for asking me one final question so that I could. I think that part of the reason why they were so flippant about the loss is that Uh, From a writing perspective, now they have got the team unified. They've got two aces. Football is life! And Jamie Tartu, Jamie Tartu, Mm -hmm. two aces. Shout out season one, episode six. They finally got there. The team is a cohesive unit. Samuel Basagna, the defensive master that we have, is locked in. He feels the support from all of his teams. We know he plays better when he's happy emotionally, when he feels that support. I think this team is now unified in a way that they're going to start to translate that to their their performance. And I don't think they lose another game in the regular season. That is my perspective.
1: It's one of the things where I think Trent was kind of on the money that that sudden last second protest probably did me- mess up the team's headspace going into that game but they For that they were otherwise fair. Yes. But it feels like the show is framing that as being the necessary cost, the necessary investment for them to go on the streak that sets the course of their season. Completely agree.
0: Okay. Uh, if that, if you don't have anything else, Spencer, I think we can go ahead and wrap up here on season two, episode three, the rightish thing. What a great episode. What a great time reviewing it with you, Spencer. I uh, really enjoying going through the, the episodes here at Ted Lasso here on the Lasso Lowdown. If you're listening, you're enjoying it, please let us know. Please Subscribe, rate, and review on whatever podcast platform you use. You can also go to MangumTalks.com. That's M-A-N-G-U-M-T-A-L-K-S.com. Upper right-hand corner, click Contact Us. Fill out the form. Send it to me. I love hearing all the feedback. I love hearing from our fans because part of the reason we do this is we want to create a little community here where we all watch the shows that we love together and we love Ted Lasso
1: and we love the fact that you're listening and enjoying it with us. Spencer, one last thing before we part. Uh, and we love when you eat cake and drink tea with us as you do. So have your own recommendations as well. We'll happily enjoy them too. Absolutely. If you got any tea you want us to cover or desserts that you'd like Spencer
0: to buy, the cheap version of, because that's how Spencer rolls, <laughs> then let us know because we like that too. So any just any uh, recommendations you have for the podcast, we would really enjoy it. Thanks everybody for listening. We will back, be back with you one week from today with our coverage of Season 1, Episode 4. Until then, see you!